So there are two loose heads just floating around in here somewhere? You can hear them at night. They whisper to each other and then cry. <laughs> Since our host isn't here, would anyone care to mix me a drink? Horror films ask us many questions. Who will survive and what will be left of them? Who's going to believe a talking head? What's blood for if not for shedding? Do you like scary movies? Have you checked the children? Maybe we'll find the answers together. Thank you for joining us on PhotoFlow, Terror in the Smiles. Here are your hosts, Eric Jones and Jake Almond. Good evening. I'm your host. So this week, our double feature is uh, Child's Play from 1988. I believe 1988. I think. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. From 1988 and uh, 1984's The Terminator. Um, when we get to Terminator, I've seen countless times. Love it. So that will be a fun, spirited discussion once we get to it. Uh, but Child's Play, I had I had never seen before. Uh, the only Chucky film I ever saw, and I've only seen it one time, was Bride of Chucky in 98 or whatever. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. And I saw that because I remember when it came out and, you know, when I was in school, I think I was in like seventh or eighth grade then. Um, one of the popular things that, like, when kind of kids start seeing our movies or something like that. Um, so everyone's talking about Bride of Chucky. I didn't see it in theaters, um, rented it. Um, from Blockbuster or wherever on VHS um, saw that. And I mean, I thought it was cool. I thought it was cool. I just, I, it, it was at the time that was when this, you know, as I find out, as I read the history of the series, that's when the series started moving into more self referential uh, areas, you know, in the wake of post scream and, and all of that. Um, so, but I didn't, and I've always known of the series, always known of Chucky. I just never saw any of them. Um, but yeah, to finally check out uh, Child's Play and my initial reaction was that it, it, because, of, because of knowing how the series is gone now, um, I almost begin to think that this original film, would, once I finally watched them, this original film is probably going to be like underrated as far as its its place uh, in the in the series itself. Um, it's it's really kind of surpassed my expectations. I didn't have low expectations for it. It was just I just didn't expect this one to be as good as it was. Um, I always thought it was just going to be kind of uh, you know just kind of jokey campy and it has moments like that but it is more of a straight straight up horror slasher than i expected and it takes it's like it i was just surprised at how like serious it believes in its premise like the premise itself is silly you know the killer transfers his soul to a doll but you know as i'm watching it i'm like you know this this is really well constructed. Uh, Don Mancini's script is really good, and what helped, and then what really makes it tie together is Tom Holland's direction. And I, 
this is the second uh tom holland film i saw i've seen um i, I saw fright night I think like in 2020 um for the first time and was really impressed with that um well, so, did, he did psycho too also uh he wrote it I, oh yeah, okay. he wrote it but um who, okay, you're right. Yeah, I'm sorry, but he's still, but still, he's very, but still, like, um, so I'm like, okay, Holland's got a good, he, he, you know, he's he's got a good eye for horror, and Mancini really, like, it, he wrote it really, really good. Like, I'm, like I said, I'm just expecting a lot of jokes or maybe a lot of, you know, sort of over the top humor, and I'm guessing that's what yeah. comes later in the series once you get to like post bride and and all of that um kind but- of uh really the most the most jokey insane one is seed of chucky which comes directly after bride but then after that it actually comes circles back to the horror when it gets to the direct to video era but and it sounds like oh well that will be the worst but actually those that movie right after Seed that 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 was released straight to video was pretty solid. Um, Curse of Chucky, I think, is I, I get those mixed up. It's there's Curse of Chucky and there's something Cult else. Of, Cult, of, Cult Chucky. of Chucky. Curse of Chucky is where it actually comes, kind of goes full circle and back to the original premise, and it's pretty solid. But they never they never ignore like they don't do the thing that you expect them to do. So we'll just ignore the one that didn't work. It it actually like the series never throws any of its sequels away like because Don Mancini wrote all of them, uh they and he actually directed some of the later ones. They never like, even this TV series from what I've heard it 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 incorporates all of it the entire history so, of the franchise which so is it's kinda, not like it's not like Halloween now right you got to pick your own path and it's kind of interesting because how many I mean that really doesn't happen I mean it seems like every franchise has sequels that ignore previous, you know, developments. And even the, I mean, the Friday the 13th is very loose with its continuity. I would say Nightmare on Elm Street sticks pretty close, at least through the first five movies. And then the sixth one feels a little separated from that. And then of course, new nightmare doesn't really count, but, but I mean, like for the most part, movies don't really, especially these type of franchises that started in the eighties, they don't have that kind of, continuity but they also don't retain the original writer through all of their films either so yeah that's it's interesting i agree with you like i was actually surprised when i re when i finally saw because i grew up with chucky but like the one i remembered the most was two and so when i finally went back again and i'd seen the first one here there over the years but when i went back to it as an adult and watched it a, a couple years ago when i bought the box set it's because I was like, I haven't seen anything past Bride. I, I, I'm going to buy the box set mainly so I can see those later movies. And went back and watched, started the first one. I was like, this is a really fun movie. Like, it's just a fun horror movie. It's, it's not, it's not really, it's not really that gory. Like, it's, it's a very soft R movie. Like, but at the time in the 80s, it felt like a, it felt like the more controversial pick because I guess because it deals with a kid. Yeah. And some of those scenes with little little Andy Barclay played by Alex Vincent. Some of those scenes, especially when he's when Chucky comes to get him when he's uh, in that asylum or whatever, those scenes where the fear in his voice and on his face is is they're pretty it's pretty effective. Like the the horror is pretty effective, and the fact that you're that they're like you said you sent me a message about how 
it's kind of crazy that they've made this kid the prime suspect. <laughs> yeah, like like you know, you you it's a it's a thing you you commonly would see in a in a slasher or something like that where, you know, there's that one person like, you know, I always remember in, you know, in Scream, Billy gets arrested at one point as the prime suspect or whatever. And but I'm like, no, like they they seriously and it wasn't they didn't play it like, you know, campy or 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 tug and cheek the movie actually takes it serious that they locked up the kid this five-year-old six-year-old kid uh for murder i mean i know he's not in jail he's in like in an asylum but still the fact is the kid got locked up and i was like wow it actually- well they they think well this kid's got some type of uh you know dissociative personality disorder or something so it's like they're just doing it so they could like you know make sure but imagine how traumatic that would be to just be ripped away from your mom. And then on top of that, we know as an audience that it really is the Chucky doll. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, like, yeah, it's messed up. Um, Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's surprisingly good. And, and, and everybody is really like doing great work. I mean, Catherine Hicks, I, she is always going to be associated with voyage home for me. Star Trek. Yeah. You know, the, the one with the whales for anyone out there, that's casual fan. Um, she's amazing in that movie and she's really good as the mom here. I think, uh, Chris Sarandon as the detective, he, you know, another, you know, you mentioned Fright Night. He was the main vampire in Fright Night. Um, he's, you know, tip, you know, typical Chris Sarandon performance. I kind of like, yeah, I feel like he kind of plays, this is kind of more his, I'm not saying that like to say he's, he plays the same way every time. I'm just saying like, he's pretty good in it. Like he, he turns in kind of a performance, what you would expect from him. And I think he does a good job. I like his smart ass partner. Uh, there, there's a good cast here and, and they, and nobody overstays their welcome. There's, I mean, everybody's kind of playing off a trope. I think like the, yeah. the best, the best friend character, uh, you know, that gets murdered by Chucky at one point. And, you know, it, but there's not, there's not an over, it's not overly, overly violent, but it gets more vicious as it goes along. And then that second and third act is what really seals it for me. I just think it's one of the more fun, like final, uh, final, it's not really a fun. It's like, it's also kind of unique. Cause it's not just one person. It's not like it just ended up like Chucky kills everybody and it's just him versus the kid. You know, they actually have it. It's him versus this Chucky versus the mom versus the kid versus the cop. And they're all three getting owned by Chucky. You know? yeah. like, and and it, and it takes all three of them to defeat him. And it's pretty great. It even takes the partner at the end, you know, to help to come in and help. So it's, it's and, and, but in, in, and again, I think this is, this is a testament to like, uh, I don't know if it would be more so to Holland's direction or Mancini's script, but like you said, you know, they're all getting owned by Chucky pretty much during that final bit. Um, But the thing is, it's like, you know, if that happened kind of nowadays, you'd almost be like, people would be questioning it so much. And they'd be like, well, come on. Like, like, why don't y'all just, but the script and the direction is so good that yeah, they make it menacing. Yeah. And, you, that, and it seems like, uh, you just kick his ass across the hall. Yeah. You know? but, <laughs> yeah but they, it, that all comes together so well that you're just like, wow, this, they actually really made this feel like I said, like a, a menacing moment. Um, another great moment I love is when, um, He's in the when he's in the back seat of the the car with the detective, and he just keeps stabbing um, through the seat, and that's oh, yeah. 
that was like a legit terrifying uh scene there. Well, even when the car crashes in the and he's trapped in the car. Yeah, because and... you're just thinking it's like, oh man, now <laughs> how's he even gonna get out now? Yeah, it's crazy. It's really it's really well directed and, and I love the use of uh the t- the moments where they make Chucky like run and you just kind of the the use of the foreground yeah. where he's where he's you know the depth of field is showing it and you just see something run and obviously they hired somebody to just run run across in the Chucky overalls and it's so effective because it's just creepy like the scene where the babysitter keeps putting Chucky back and and then she walks out of the room and then he keeps he wants to watch the news or whatever so you just see him you just see him quickly run across like those those kind of moments just send a chill up your spine where you just see like Chucky run in the background or something like I really it's like Halloween uses the uses a lot of really great shots of using the you know the foreground and everything else and Chuck and I think Child's Play does a really good job of doing that as well where you, where you'll be watching up somebody but then you'll see something in your periphery or whatever and, it, and it, it's just a brilliant use of that because it builds the suspense obviously is the purpose of it but it's just it, there's something fun about it like you're watching them craft like you said silly it seems like silly on paper but then when you watch it you you kind of get into it. like this is a pretty creepy little movie but not in a it's so funny because it feels like a fun monster movie uh but I don't know if you remember how controversial Chucky was. Like it, it seemed like it was more controversial than, and Stuart was telling me a little bit about how controversial it was. It was so controversial in the UK that they had to pull it. Like they, they forced video stores basically through public opinion to pull it from the shelves for a while. (laughs) Wow. And I was like, did they do that with any other horror films? And he was like, I mean, you know, not counting the video nasties and all that. And he, cause it never got, put on the video nasties it was because of some real world case and and i'll let stewart tell that story on the on his segment um but basically that's but it had that same it never got pulled from the shelves here as far as i know but it had the same i just remember it was controversial like it was the it was one of those that you weren't supposed to watch like this one's it was i think it was more the like people saw it as very mean natured because it had to do with kids like it had to do with a kid being scared and and uh it just seemed like it triggered people in a way that maybe texas chainsaw massacre didn't even do just because you didn't have a little kid running around being scared you know so but i mean to me it it's a fun it's a fun horror movie that i remember seeing as a kid and actually not really even caring that much about it like it didn't really affect me that bad that much but now i actually have a lot of fun with it yeah i'm 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 try- looking at right now just to get the uh, the collection uh, on Blu-ray just so I can uh, check out the re- just so I could check out the rest of them. Um, and I, you were talking earlier, just kind of like the like the effect of Chucky running, like the 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 puppeteering work was just outstanding because, like I said, every time you I'm expecting this to just feel cheap and cheesy you know it 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 doesn't and it it just feels legit um and also and i think obviously we you know we we haven't spoken yet um you you don't have a chucky movie without um brad dorf um and talk about an excellent an excellent piece of uh casting 
Yeah, his his voice acting is so great because but you totally believe that you know that he's that he it, you totally believe his performance like is part of like he's it's Brad Dorf is is has possessed a Chucky doll. You know? Like I'm to, like when I watch it, it's just one of the one of the better vocal performances. He's not phoning it in at all. He's genuinely giving a performance the whole time, and it sounds it sounds like Brad Dorf. But it, um, but it, but it's different, you know. Like it's a perform, it's a genuine vocal performance. It's not just him, you know. Yeah, he's not playing. I mean, it does feel like he's sort of playing himself, but it's like, yeah, it's. I get what you're saying that there's, there is a the, the actual performance part of it. He's not just simply playing himself. Yeah, I mean, there's there's something about the way he, um. Like I've seen other movies that he's in, and he—I mean, that's his voice, obviously. But he typically plays more uh, nervous or uh, kind of unhinged characters. And with yeah. with not to say that Chucky's not unhinged, but he seems to be enjoying himself. And there's some, something about his accent, like his his New York accent or whatever accent that is that he puts on when he plays Charles Lee Ray. That that's a little bit different than other performances I've seen him play, but it is really fun. It's so good. In fact, that, that I, uh, Stewart said he actually liked the remake that Mark Hamill and Mark Hamill's a super talented voice actor. I'm not taking anything away from, but, but Stewart said he liked the, he actually enjoyed the remake of Charles play with Mark Hamill does the voice of Chucky. And I still haven't, I just, I haven't found myself. Like I haven't found the time or the interest to check that out yet. Cause it's just like so weird to me that it's weird to me and maybe it's because i've there's just so many other chucky movies and to me brad dorif is chucky that i just can't imagine mark hamill being chucky like it's weird and i love mark hamill like i i have heard i have heard i mean i remember obviously when it was coming out you know you're going to get the standard you know teeth gnashing ah they're remaking it blah 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 yeah and i don't that's not how i feel about it it's just but i heard like after after it came out and i kind of just heard just little spots here and there i didn't hear people talk about it too much but i have heard people say oh well you know what yeah that wasn't that wasn't too bad so i do have to check it out one day i will check it out at some point i mean hell i've watched uh remakes of other movies that i loved even more so it's not a big deal but yeah uh it's just to me it's just an odd choice it's like even even though they were remaking it just get Dorif back. There's no reason why you shouldn't just rehire Brad Dorif. It's know? also interesting because like they're they're actively, you know, it's still sort of active. You know, it's not like where it's like you know, Friday the Thirteenth, where the '09 film came like a good while after another, and you were trying to like drum up interest, or even Texas uh, Chainsaw Massacre uh, remake. It's not like that. Chucky is still essentially still going on yeah um, so i well, thought it was interesting just the you, fact that they did do it you mentioned bride of chucky being in 1998 what's interesting is chucky three or i should say child's play three was we as it's funny that they started to be going by chucky because i swear in the 90s in the, the in the early to mid 90s that's just what we called them, Chucky movies. The yes. Chucky movies. We never called them, it, even though I hadn't seen them. But I have always known that. Yeah, it was the the Chucky series. Yeah, because we talked we talked about 
all kinds of stuff when we were kids in elementary school. It was, and it was mostly the the stuff we weren't supposed to watch. We loved the. We talked about the Terminator. We talked about the Predator movies a lot. We talked about the Chucky movies, the Friday the Thirteenth, the Jason movies, and the Freddy movies. Like that's how you yep. refer to them: Freddy movies, Jason movies, Chucky movies. The you know, and it's kind of funny. The shark. And Jaws might as well have been the name of the shark, you know. (laughs) It's just, it's funny that that uh, they started just, you know, just went with it. They were like Bride of Chucky, which is obviously a a joke about Bride of Frankenstein. But I mean, even the movies after that, um, you know, it's it's just it's the Chucky movies. And and honestly, like if they had just called it Chucky, that would have been fine because Child's Play, yeah, you know, it's not a bad title. But it's just kind of like it doesn't really tell you what the movies. I don't know. It's not. It's not a great. Child's Play is not really a great title, and I think that's why people refer to it as Chucky. <laughs> well, see, that is part of why I was how I was uh, saying how when I was growing up, I confused because of the names of the series. I confused Child's Play with problem child yeah now i did see pro- <laughs> now i did see problem child um but yeah i used because i was like i remember my i remember with problem child um because sometimes my dad when he get off um get off work at the, the navy base or whatever he would just stop by the store and just rent whatever he'd rent something for my mom something for him something for me um yeah. and so he comes back so he comes back with uh problem child so the first thing i'm thinking is i'm like oh is this the this is the Chucky movie, but I mean, I, I should. He does have father. red hair, dude. He, I'm just <laughs> but I'm like, I should have known my father wasn't going to just, you know, rent something that he didn't think I, you know, was appropriate for or whatever at the time or whatever. Um, yeah. And so I w- watched that and I was like, oh, I was like, so Problem Child is about this. Oh, it's about this badass kid. I thought it was about this killer doll or whatever, and that's why I'm saying. So yeah, the 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 the, the title of the series, Child's Play, might not necessarily have been the best because I darn sure as a kid in the '90s got that mixed up. But like you said, I would rather, I would probably rather spend time with Chucky than that kid. Yeah, because that well, kid made me not want to have siblings. The... <laughs> um, I remember the the that was another ch- the Child's Play movies had and the, you know you you watched it you've seen the cover that they put on Voodoo right yeah. I hate that cover <laughs> why what is that shit the uh, the uh, the box the box art for the original Child's Play the first three are great those are those things used to scare the shit like out of me like I, I thought they were scary I thought the box art. For the and I knew other kids my age that thought it was scary when we were kids too. It, the box art for the first three Child's Play movies on VHS and the video store aisle were great, especially like the second one, hey, where he's got the Jack in the Box has like a scared yep. look on his face and he's like got the scissors like he's gonna decapitate the Jack in the Box like that was great stuff. And then Bride of Chucky was was kind of just doing the scream thing probably on purpose, like purposely kind of parodying the scream poster. And I don't remember the rest of them, but it was just funny that they put that atrocious <laughs> bullshit on Voodoo. Like, just put the original movie covers on there. I don't understand. But, and I don't know who's responsible for the original Child's Play poster, but it, it's really good. Like, the the original poster is. And that was another one that stuck in my mind. And I remember that everybody knew about them, even if they hadn't seen them. It was just that, that pop culture was smaller back then. 
than it is now. There weren't as many choices. So not to make ourselves sound old, but they're like, it's kind of like your parents talk about, like there were only three channels on the TV when, when we were kids, you know, <laughs> like, but, but like really pop culture was smaller. Like everybody watched a lot of the same stuff that was, you know, if it, if it made its way into, into the culture and Chucky was one of those things that was just kind of right there with the slasher boom. And that, and it was kind of, one of the last of the of the big horror friend. I mean, it came late in the eighties after Freddie, after Jason and all those had pretty much those were like nineteen eighty seven, eighty eight, those franchises were petering out. And here comes Child's Play. So it was kind of the last of the great eighties franchises. And then by the time you get to nineteen ninety, I think people were just kind of over that. I mean, like that was sort of the end of the like until Scream, that was the end of it. So it's funny when you go back and you watch Child's Play Three that it doesn't seem as memorable. It's not as memorable of a film anyway. It's not a terrible movie. I actually played better last time I saw it. Like, and it's su- super short. So you could watch two and three back to back. And it's, and it's not, I mean, like you could do that easily in an afternoon. Cause it's just, they're both such short films, but um, three is three. Doesn't have the same. Um, it doesn't have the same pace as the first two and and they do this weird time jump so the Alex Vincent's not playing Andy anymore and the and the, there's nothing really ultra memorable about it it's still a fun movie but it's just not that memorable compared to the first two and but it feels very much like that late 80s early because it was probably shot in like 1989 it feels like that late 80s early 90s before the 90s had kind of gotten its own personality you know as a decade and then you jump just eight years later to Bride of Chucky and it feels like a totally different decade. Like it's like, yeah. it's, it's insane how different it is. It actually feels more like 2000s, like the early 2000s to me, like Bride of Chucky. It feels like it belongs in there with Scream 3, like that era. Like it doesn't feel like the mid nineties anymore. And I remember 1998 really well. Like that was the year of like, I was like a full-fledged teenager and like by 1998 i was i was in the into whatever was cool at the time you know like i remember that year very well but bride of chucky uh was absolutely coming off of if we're just talking about the franchise in general it was absolutely coming off the scream boom of and horror was cool again and everybody at the festivals like i think it was at Bride of Chucky came out and actually did like the festival circuit. And if I remember correctly and people loved it, like it was, uh, it, it was, they loved it because it was, it was, it was post scream and it had a sense of humor and, and it did something different and wasn't just trying to do the first child's play again. And, you know, and, and it, well, and honestly it was better than the third one. So it, it fit more in a way it was the better sequel, but going back and watching it now, I actually kind of found myself laughing and enjoying Seed of Chucky more because it's such a John Waters movie. Like <laughs> it, it, it actually has John Waters in it, but it feels like a John Waters version of Child's Play. Uh, hold on a second. This air conditioner just cut on behind me and it's going to be loud as crap. <laughs> um, and I'm sitting in this like really awesome recliner, like powered recliner. So it's taking me, like, <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I have to press the button and wait for it. So let allow me to sit up but um yeah i mean the series the franchise is is weird and it definitely takes some left turns but 
every time they do something, even if it doesn't completely land, it's fun. But it all goes back to that first movie. Um, if it hadn't been a hit, you know, I don't know how big of a hit it was, but I mean, it did okay. It did okay, obviously, to spawn a franchise. So, um, I don't know that much about the numbers and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, it was just it was just one of the it was the one of the last of the of the '80s movie monsters that that hit big, and I mean, it's, it's solid to me. Uh, one thing I think that kind of helped keep it um, in the um, like in the uh, the the pop culture sphere is because like one thing I always know like my like my my parents they're not they're not horror people like that but you know they everyone knows Chucky and I think one thing that kind of helped with that um, for any of our listeners who are uh, football fans um, former coach. Uh, John Gruden, that was his nickname. Oh, yeah, Chucky. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and there was a guy in the there's a picture online. If you look it up, uh, if you search through long enough, you'll find the there was a guy in this in the stands during the game that would put the Chucky mask on or whatever. That's pretty funny, anyway. Go ahead, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. The, I, I just think that was something also that helped keep it in. I mean, even to the point that like I just have family members who don't watch horror movies at all. All talking about all talking about Chucky and everyone just recognizing Chucky just because you know of John Gruden and Gruden you know before he did what he did was a successful coach and everything um, so he was definitely someone whose face um, you saw quite you know people saw football fans that is would see quite often even when he was in up doing broadcasting. Well, it's so, yeah. funny because it is iconic. It's like everybody. I mean, my parents. My dad probably seen a Friday the 13th movie. I don't know that my mom's ever seen a Friday the 13th movie, but she knows who Jason Voorhees is. She knows who yeah. Freddy Krueger is. And, um, you know, so, I mean, she, I'm just saying, like, you know, her, her, she, she, was, she's seen like some, some horror movies. Like, we've talked about The Shining and stuff like that. She's, she's the one who rented that for me, but she's never been into the, she was never into the 80s monster movie stuff, you know, which is really what that is. It's the, to me, the, the 80s version of the Universal Monsters, you know, you had, they weren't all linked by one studio anymore, but to me, you, Jason and Freddy and Chucky and all that, that's our, that's our, uh, the mummy and Frankenstein and Dracula, you know? Like, yeah. I mean, that's what ultimately it, it is. And, um, I mean, on, what's so funny about franchises and how they evolve is that we'll talk about it in a minute, but when you look at the first Terminator, the Terminator could have been right there with them. <laughs> like yeah. in a, in a different, if James Cameron had been a different type of filmmaker and, and like that, that movie could have had like a sequel come out like a year or two later and it could have been just another horror film with the Terminator. It could have been like, just like uh, the Terminator returns and it's just going to be Jaws two sequel you know like a Jaws 2 type sequel where it's basically the same movie again you know with, you know they could have easily done that so uh that was just kind of that's what made Terminator different was because they didn't get a sequel right away even though it was a big hit so um you know for better in that case I think but I just think it's funny that uh you know things can things were just different you know in the movie industry and and you would never see i mean it, I, I don't want to say you'd never see i mean but you, you still see stuff like this but it's on tv like yeah. the way they do whether well, the way they continue stories like this you see a, a lot more risks being taken on television you don't you would never i don't i just don't think you get that many uh, i mean saul might be the last 
horror franchise where they just sequeled the hell out of it, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's just things are so different now. I mean, you might get one sequel to something now, uh, like a Don't Breathe 2 or something like that, but you don't see that. You don't see the 80s and 90s even uh, time of let's do a sequel one year after the other. I mean, I guess I'm kind of eating my own words because Scream 6 has already been greenlit, but that's that's kind of because that franchise did that in the 90s. It was like Scream Scream 1 came out, and within a year, within a, a year exactly, you already had Scream 2. Yeah. So, um, but, I mean, that was so common in the 80s. That was just how you did it. So Chucky burnt really, like, um, it, you know, the, the flame burnt really, really hot, really fast, and then it, and it got, but it just squeezed in at the end of the decade. If it had come out in 1986, you you probably would have had four Chucky movies by the nineties, you know. <laughs> oh yeah. So I mean, it's kind of a miracle that Bride of Chucky happened at the time, and and then it, and it's just wild that here we are, and now we got a TV series, which I still haven't seen, but I heard it was good. So. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. Yeah, I gotta check out the uh, the series as well. I but it... I used to, I used to be dis. I'll be completely honest. I was always dismissive of Chucky, like not that it was bad, but I mean, it was always kind of just a joke, like. uh like you said, everybody knew about it. It never, it didn't hold the weight for me that like Jason or Freddie held. So I was always just kind of like, yes, it just didn't scare me. So I thought it wasn't as cool. Uh, yeah. Now that, I watch it and I'm like, I have a lot of fun with it. So yeah, that's what I think. That's what I thought thought was interesting when I when I watched this because I was like, because I I like I kind of seen when I think it was. I forget. It was either Curse or Cult. It was one movie that uh, that uh, made its debut on Netflix, and I saw people talking about it, and um, and so people are like, "Yeah, the, you know, Chucky series is, you know, is 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 has actually been doing really good lately." And I was just kind of surprised that, you know, I mean, I wasn't like dismissive of it. It was just that I just didn't realize that. I was like, yeah, people don't really people know who Chucky is, but I don't hear people talk about the movies. How, yeah, like how good that. the movie is, or how well crafted that, that first movie is, or even the, in my opinion, the second one is a really solid, solid sequel. There are we'll talk about it. We'll we'll cover the second one when we get to the uh, when we start getting into sequels more. We'll definitely do that. Maybe we'll do the second and third one as a double feature because, like I said, it's kind of fun to just watch those back to back. But, um. I think the second one's really good. It's just that like with a lot of sequels, you don't, I mean, inevitably somebody's, you, you don't, I mean, only one person from the first movie comes back other than not counting Brad Dorif. So it's kind of in that way, it's like, it's, it's, um, it could have been worse, but somehow or another, they still made a pretty fun movie out of it. You know, like usually if you, it's like poltergeist, uh, the second poltergeist is whatever, you know, it's fine. But by the time you get to three, all you have is Heather O'Rourke, and I love, and I, you know, God bless her. I mean, she's, you know, that was horrible what happened to her. I'm just saying, like, she wasn't going to carry that movie. What made the first one great was her and the family. So when you lose the family, and all you have is Heather O'Rourke, uh, it's just, and I, and before anyone, you know, gets mad about, you know, the the six people that might listen to this and actually get mad about it, um. <laughs> I like Poltergeist 3 for what it is. It's actually not a terrible movie. It's just that it doesn't have that element that brings me back to the first one 
which is that family. And it just, you know, it loses a lot when you don't have the mom and the dad and the, and the brother and sister and all that. So I don't know, but yeah, I mean, Chucky too doesn't have, <laughs> I'm just going to call it Chucky too. It doesn't, it doesn't have, you know, Catherine Hicks in it anymore. Like, um, and that's weird. So then you have Vin, you have Andy without his mom and, and they make an explanation for it, but it doesn't fly with me. Cause I'm like, no matter what happened, his mom wouldn't, wouldn't leave him. Like, I feel like she's a really good mom or at least trying to be a, a good mom. You know, I, I mean, she obviously loves him. So the explanation for why she's not around in the second one doesn't fly. I mean, they would have been better off just saying like, having like <laughs> her killed off screen by Chucky or something in the beginning. I don't know. But um, that would have been a horrible way to start the movie. Just, <laughs> but it would have been kind of par for the course in the eighties with slasher movie, like have her get killed in the opening scene. Yeah, it would have been like uh, what was it? Uh, was uh, Friday Thirteenth Two? Yeah, kills off the Friday, <laughs> kills off the final girl from one. Yeah, or did it? Because then you remember that fan film that I found oh, that that yeah. brought her back. <laughs> that was actually a pretty good fan film. Um, I did not expect that, but but anyway, um. Yeah, I mean, it's a strange series for sure, and it, but uh, that it makes it, it is interesting. I mean, like it affected my sister. You know, I said I wasn't scared by it, but I remember it affected her. She had a lot of dolls though, and my mom remembered being terrified by the Talking Tina episode of the Twilight Zone as a kid, and she remembered that. I grew up hearing her. I I didn't see that episode for freaking years but i knew about talking tina because of my mother <laughs> and uh and so th- it was something about killer dolls in the 80s because uh you had dolly dearest and chucky and doll the movie dolls and there was just i don't know if there were others but dolly dearest and chucky were the ones i remember the most and my sister like like she really was terrified by anything with a doll in it with, like an evil doll in it and she one one Christmas she got a doll. It was called the and it was like this weird corporate mascot doll. <laughs> it was the Kool Aid Kid, and it was <laughs> it was it was uh, a Kool Aid tie-in, you know. And it was about the size. It wasn't as big as like Chuck. I mean, I think did my buddy come before Chucky or did Chucky come before my buddy? You remember those oh, my yeah, buddy dolls? Yeah, Ooh, that's a good question because it's really odd, like how how close they are. I think my buddy had to have come out first like it had to have been sort of a parody on the my buddy doll but, That's um, what I'm, yeah it, it has yeah that has to because yeah that but you yeah, know how you know how it, you know how right he's now? like he's like totally into the saturday morning cartoon my buddy is, was 85 oh okay so there you go yeah and and you know how andy was real and i remember those commercials even when i was a kid in the 90s they still came on like in the 80s and 90s, like, they came on, like, you'd be watching Ninja Turtles and hear, my buddy, my buddy, you know. <laughs> and so all those little things when you're, when you grew up in that time are super relatable, like the kid getting up early in the morning and making cereal and watching cartoons. Like, th- that was me every, every freaking day there, you know, when I, yep. before school, you know, if I wasn't in school during summer or, or on Saturday morning, that was me my whole childhood like get up make my own bowl of cereal which he was making cereal for his mom but you still you know make a bowl of cereal watch cartoons that was my every saturday morning like i was up before everybody so i could so i could catch the cartoons that i liked and uh and i could have the tv to myself (laughs) and and, because there was one tv in the house but um 
that Kool-Aid kid doll was kind of funny because, you know, how the whole the Chucky in a weird way and it and it does this more in the sequels becomes like almost like an anti uh, um, you know like the the way they're marketing this doll to this kid all that stuff and it, it I don't know that they're necessarily making a commentary on it but it's definitely in there you know it's not as it's not as um it's not as critical to say Paul Verhoeven's RoboCop or something, but it's, it's definitely there, you know, and it becomes more of a plot point when you start meeting like the toy executives. It's almost like they become like Waylon Yutani or something in the sequels. But um, like uh, my sister, long story short, so I can finally get to the point, got the Kool-Aid kid doll and, and she hated it. Like, she got it for Christmas. <laughs> I don't remember which aunt or uncle or whatever gave it to her but she hated that damn thing because it had, it was like the cherry Kool-Aid version. So it had the red hair and, uh, <laughs> and it was just all she could think about was Chucky. <laughs> so that doll ended up in the basement, which was somehow worse because we kind of forgot about it. And then like one day I'm down in the basement and like trying to clean up some stuff. Cause that was kind of like where my Nintendo was for a while down there when we did get a second TV <laughs> and uh, before the great flood that ruined my Atari and everything. But, um, I'm like moving some stuff and all of a sudden there's this redheaded Kool-Aid kid doll just <laughs> there staring at me from the corner, you know? So it was really, Oh, cool. I just, I just see it. So found a picture of it. Oh, you did wow. the Kool-Aid kid. Yeah. <laughs> It doesn't really look like Chucky, but it's close enough. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. real, it's just an ugly looking doll. But yeah, ugly pants, that's for sure. Yeah, it's so <laughs> funny though because that doll was never loved by her at all. <laughs> she hated that damn thing. But there was she was so affected by stuff like that because there was even a scene in the movie Arachnophobia, which we all loved growing up where the spider lands on a doll and the doll's eyes open. And it was so weird and out of character for the movie. Like it's one of the most strange shots in the film. Like they were just trying to do a creepy shot, but the spider lands on the doll and the doll's eyes open. And my sister thought that was one of the scariest like images in a movie she'd ever seen, you know? (laughs) But uh, yeah, so it affected, it does, it did affect some people. Like it just, I was never really terrified of dolls for whatever reason. So, but watching it now, it's a totally fun movie. It's well crafted. Yeah, I just was very, I, I, I just was so surprised at how well made it is. And I'm like, people don't really talk about this. They kind of talk about from Bride on, but they don't talk. I was like, they don't talk about this. I'm like, this is really really good yeah it's like, in it's in circulation for me now like i mean if if it's halloween and i just want to put on a fun horror movie like here you go and it's actually pretty accessible like there's some language and stuff in it but you could totally watch this with like a yeah. with like a uh you know 10 or 11 12 year old yeah and it's not there's nothing in it that's like it's not overly gruesome you know it's just a fun i mean it's it would probably be scary for that age like i can't really I can't really use my own experiences because I found horror movies differently than, but the average 10 or 11 or 12 year old would probably be spooked out by it in a fun way, you know? Yeah. But yeah, no, you're right. I mean, well, I think that's a generational thing too. Um, you know, some of the kids that might have, might have more strict parents or, or didn't have a blockbuster membership or, a, well, we had a video spectrum membership 
the eighties video, eighties and nineties video store I went to, but somebody who maybe wasn't exposed to movies as much as a kid, um, might not have discovered the series until Bride of Chucky. So that might've been their first Chucky movie, you know? So, yeah. And I'm, uh, I'm reading here that uh, or initially, um, during the test screenings, it was originally two hours. Like the rough cut was two hours and it, you know, got negative, um, reaction. And then, um, Mancini, what, was it, what was in those extra minutes? I wonder. They, the, yeah. Because, uh, it's Mancini and, uh, the producer. Um, so they cut 25 minutes, um, to reduce the amount of time that Chucky was on screen so that it could, um, it could work kind of like Jaws or Alien. So said that like the, the people yeah. were watching were like, as it went on and they just kept seeing more of Chucky, they were just kind of like, eh, it's too much. I could actually see that being a problem. Like it actually is the perfect amount in the movie. Yeah. Like it's really well paced. It's a really good length. And I can't imagine it being two hours long, which is, you know, now if it came out, it'd be like the new Chucky movie, two hours and 35 minutes, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, because the little bit of, that you get with him where the camera's not kind of hiding him is is creepy and Brad Doris or, it, you know, Brad Doris performance is pretty funny. Like most of the time, even when he's spewing curse words and stuff, it's, it's pretty hilarious in a way. Like the scene where she puts the where she discovers he doesn't have the batteries and he does the exorcist head turn, you know, <laughs> and he just goes freaking nuts on her like that shit is awesome. <laughs> And it was a good build. It was a good build to that because, kind of like, for the most part, in the beginning, I I kind of realized I was like, oh wait a minute, like when Andy is saying, you know, well Chucky said this, and then I'm realizing I was like, oh wait a minute, they 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 actually didn't really show Chucky saying whatever to him, which again helps to the um, building up the suspense there. Well, there is something there is something to be said about like there is a, a certain fear, I guess, that most kids can probably relate to about their toys. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think more of poltergeist, like how the toys just all like all the little cars and stuff just start riding around. But like I had I don't know if you ever had any like I had an ambulance and a fire truck when I was a kid that was like well, had batteries. So the sirens actually worked and the lights lit up. Yep. And sometimes if there was enough you know active like electrical shit going on in the atmosphere from a storm or something it, they would just turn on on their own and that used to creep me the hell out man and <laughs> and but i mean there is i hate oh, I, I hated teddy ruxpin as a kid i hated <laughs> i mean i always I, wanted one i always wanted one dude i hated it and <laughs> and it was something about the creepy animatronic face and and how when it talked, you could hear the little servos going, you know, like, <laughs> dude, I hated it so much that my mom finally just had to, like, take the batteries out of it. And when it was just a teddy bear, it was fine. But, yeah. So, I mean, I can relate to that, you know. Um, speaking of cool animatronics, like, the, the you, like you had mentioned the puppeteering and, and definitely the, the way they, they animate Chucky's face uh with the animatronics it, it's it works on two levels for me because it's exactly how like a teddy ruxpin's face works it's maybe a little more complex for the movie version but i mean like it it's toy like because that's what it would have to do but they do such a good job of giving him so much personality so he can look really sweet like really kind when he needs to but then he can look like really menacing you know when he needs to yep. and um 
one of the coolest things I found out that I didn't know was that the one of the discarded puppet heads that they used for Chucky because they probably made like who who knows how many in the first you know two or three movies. One of them, and I don't know from which movie it came from, actually ended up becoming the basis basis for like it was an old rotten latex version of it, the basis for the Crypt Keeper's face and Tales from the Crypt. <laughs> <laughs> So if you look at the Crypt Keeper really closely, just in the facial structure, you can kind of see the the bones of Chucky, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's it's kind of weird. It's cool, though. But yeah, super fun, man. And uh, I mean, like, we, the ending, when he's all melted and charred and he's, and he's still coming and he's dragging himself along, it's very much like the Terminator. Like in yeah, the I, I know. That, so. that was exactly what I was thinking when I watched it. I was just like, because yeah, I was like, yeah, Terminator was '84, so I was like, yeah, I was like, I'm curious if someone were to ask Mancini when he, you know, I was like, when you did you write that scene? Were you thinking the Terminator? Oh, for sure. I mean, for sure. He he was probably kind of parodying it in his own way. Like he he was making it scary. Like I actually think that 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 whole part of the movie is pretty pretty effective. But for sure, like I and the, there's even more of a more of a James Cameronish. Uh, finale to to Child's Play two because it actually takes place in a factory and that's very James Cameron. <laughs> so, oh yeah, uh, so you'll appreciate that. I don't want to give anything away, but it's very much like a, you know, and it's still before T two came out, so it's very much still a Terminator ish kind of thing. And I think I think it's one hundred percent intentional, but in a fun way. Like it works in its own lot. Like it's working within its own internal logic. It's not just doing something that from another film that feels out of place like it totally works for me and it and i and i'm kind of a sucker for that dynamic anyway like sometimes it can be sometimes it can be uh tedious but i love it if you can pull off like making the making it seem like the villain is hard to kill you know and then with a terminator or a chucky doll it makes a little more sense because they're obviously not mortal even though chucky's becoming mortal um, you know, there's something about the fact that they're they're robots or whatever that makes it work in a way that's scarier than maybe even like if you just shoot a person fifty times and they're still coming back. <laughs> like that, that starts to stretch your <laughs> believability a bit. But I mean, that to me it works, and um, yeah. So I don't know that the time as a kid that I just it just seemed like a movie thing, you know, but one of the things that I love, I think that works in child's play one is the mother son parent kid kind of relationship as the final girl kind of trope, instead of it being simply a final girl, so to speak. Um, And you get that in this and you get that in aliens and you get that a little bit in T2, you know, like at least, you know, in a, in kind of a different dynamic because it's not a little kid anymore. But you know what I mean? Like, and, and I've always been kind of a sucker for that. Like, that works for me in a way that's, it's, it feels different than what you get with maybe a, um, just your typical teenager slasher film. Yeah. You also kind of get that with New Nightmare because you got a kid around the same age as, you know, as, 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 uh, Andy is in this movie. And you get Heather Langenkamp kind of playing the mom in that. So that's, something that i'm always kind of drawn to which i was playing it's even though i just named a few other movies that do it this kind of feels like the first one like 
Uh, I mean, you got. I mean, I guess you got a, you got something kind of like that with Cujo, also. But yeah, I mean, I, I like that kind of thing. It was cool. Um, you, aliens came first too. Sorry, but yeah. Oh. <laughs> and I don't know that that was intentional, but I'm just saying, even even when those movies all came out and all those movies came out in the 70s and 80s, uh, and then T2 in the 90s, even when all of those came out, that's still like barely even scratching the surface of how many we had already seen where it's just, you know, since Texas Chainsaw Massacre, how many final girls we've seen. Like, that's still a thing that goes on. You still see that more. You don't see this, you know, I mean, you don't hardly even see children in horror films anymore. It's it's still one of those taboo things. Like, some people just completely disagree with ever putting a child in a horror film, you know, in this type of horror film. I don't mean, like, ghost stories and stuff are a little different but like when you do a slasher there's something about that that really pisses people off when you put a kid in that situation yeah it's such a such a such a gem actually that child's play was i like i said i I didn't, I didn't know, know how you were going to feel about it. I, I was excited that you liked it that much yeah i just i just really was just like wow this this is something that probably should be talked about a bit more. Than, I think than the show. Be. I think the show does kind of maybe bring in new fans. I mean, yeah, I'm, or maybe I'm just in a bubble online, but it seems like people seem to really like it, and it got renewed. But I mean, amongst the horror community, it's kind of hard to gauge it because we we typically just are excited that there's something in the horror world going on, especially with an you know an icon, but. Um, you know, maybe the show brings in new fans in a way that maybe is easier to access than even the film series, you know, but I don't know. Yeah, so I'm, I was definitely, definitely pleased with Child's Play. Are you, so you've already said that it was so good to you that you're like, I'm going to actually give the franchise a shot. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that's cool. Yeah, because I said the only time I've seen Bride was when I rented it back on VHS, and I haven't seen it uh, since then. Um, so yeah, I definitely want to give the franchise a shot now. Yeah, and I will say, like, they are all tonally pretty consistent. The outliers, for better, in my in my opinion, because I actually had a lot of fun with them. But you have to realize that it's going to be a different tone as bride and seed and after that it's pretty much like you know they they follow uh the tone of the first three a little bit more after that and i can't speak for the show but i've heard it kind of marries everything together so mm. i may even eventually buy season one of that you know just so i can check it out yeah if it doesn't end up streaming somewhere at some point, was it on? Was it on Netflix? I thought it sworn I thought I saw it on Netflix. Could be wrong. I, you know, I don't know. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if it ended up there. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of like Ash versus Evil Dead. Like I was so wanting to see it, but I wasn't. I didn't have stars, and I wasn't going to just get stars for that alone. Yeah. And I already had so many other subscriptions. I was just like, I'll, I'll just buy it, you know, at some point. And I was, and I. I was actually just about to buy it and Netflix put the first two seasons on and I was like, Oh sweet. So I watched the first season and I watched the second season. I liked them so much. I just bought like went out and bought the first three 
I don't remember. Was it Netflix or was it? I don't remember. It doesn't matter. Anyway, I bought the first three or the only three seasons of Ash vs. Evil Dead on Blu-ray because I was just I thought they were great, and and uh, now they're on Netflix permanently or whatever. So <laughs> you know, whatever. That's yeah, fine. I still gotta. I still have to check out that series. I, I don't regret it because they're on the shelf with my other Evil Dead movies, and I think they work really well as just like a, a, what I've heard Chucky movies do. I think Ash vs. the Evil Dead. Uh, or Ash versus Evil Dead works as well to marry the tones of one, two, and Army of Darkness. You know, like it feels like it 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 feels like it's got a little bit of all of that in there. So there are there are certain episodes that are sillier and more like Army of Darkness, and then there are episodes that are um really really scary, kind of even that are like the first Evil Dead, and then you know it's got the but it's still, it's the Ash from Evil Dead 2, you know, like, he never really takes himself all that seriously, but he's sometimes in really horrific situations, so it's 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 definitely worth checking out. I, I think that's so cool that, that you could have so, such different um, types of stories all in one franchise and different tones and different I mean, it's Sam Raimi all the way I mean, this, even if he's not directly writing or directing the episode it's his it's his um, it's his sense of humor and his style. Whereas Chucky Don Mantini's there to guide the whole thing. So, I mean, really it falls on his shoulders. And I mean, the, you know, especially in the later movies where that he's actually directing, but like, I feel like without him coming back, he gets, you know, I, I don't know what Chucky would look like with a different writer. And I guess you could watch the remake and kind of see, you know, how it holds up. It, it changes the concept. So it's no longer a, serial killer that's possessed the soul of a you know that or possessed the doll it's uh an evil ai or whatever so it's even more like the terminator <laughs> we picked the wrong child's play movie to watch with this <laughs> we shouldn't watch the remake <laughs> perfect segue into 1984's the terminator now this one if this one i mean <laughs> we was going to get to it and it's good that we got to it early i always remember uh my 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 early days of catching you and john on waxing cinematic when (laughs) when y'all used to do the 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 simultaneous uh uh video stream at the same time and i would always be watching it um watching y'all uh at work and um it was just it, it was just hilarious how it all how it, it no matter what the what the topic was, it always ended up coming back. To, it always ended up coming back to Terminator uh, for you. <laughs> I I always I remember one time y'all were y'all were talking about uh y- y- y'all governor there in North Carolina. I don't know if he's still the governor, but y'all were y'all were talking about how y'all hated him. Oh no, nah, he's no longer the governor. Thank oh, yeah. but somehow that conversation ended up back at Terminator. I don't know how it got there, but <laughs> I don't even just... know, man. I don't even know. <laughs> Holy crap, that's funny. Yeah, it's just that movie to me is like I already like movies, but when I saw the Terminator for the first time, it like lit that spark. You know, it's that movie for me. Kind of like, um, well, I mean, what's there's what's your movie? Like everybody's got a movie that just lit that spark for them. What was yours? For me, it probably wouldn't be horror. It would just it would, pre- but um, uh, Star Wars, the original yeah. Star Wars. That was that was the movie that I remember. I was just like, how how do you do this thing? Yeah. yeah. See, for me, that was it. Was really Terminator. To be fair, it was Terminator Two. 
but it was Terminator Two that led to Terminator One. And to me, as a kid, they were they were interchangeable. Now I can step back and say I appreciate how very different they are at the same time. But it was because of T two and the iconography of the Terminator itself, and then the first movie. What works for me was that it's everything. It's it's not everything I love about movies, obviously, but it's so many different things that I love about movies. You have the sci-fi element, if you're really into that. You have the action element, which I love. And you have the horror element, which a lot of people ignore about the first movie. Because most people, when they think of Terminator in broad, if they haven't seen it in a long time and they think of it in broad strokes, they mostly think of the second movie and maybe yep. even the inferior sequels that came after that, which basically all try to do the second movie. Like none of them, even the ones that try to go back to the first movie as a template, like Genesis, it's still ultimately just, it's like trying to remake the first movie with the T2 filter over it. You know what I mean? So that first movie when I finally saw it, it was the, I was telling Stuart, it was the white well for me because I saw the second movie and loved it. Like I can remember what I ate. I can remember the the way the living room worked, what type of couch I was sitting on, the type of TV I watched on everything. My memory is so clear about that second movie. When I, the first time I saw it, it just kind of like, like, okay, I love this story. I love this type of filmmaking. I didn't know who James Cameron was or any of that shit. But I loved it. And so I was like, I have to see the first one. You know, it was weird because, in a, and I'll stand by the fact that they work either way. Like, you could watch Terminator 2 and then watch Terminator 1, or you could watch Terminator 1 and then watch Terminator 2 because of the time travel aspect of it. From a storyline perspective, they actually work either way. So, Judgment Day and the first one, you know, they work. It actually worked pretty well to go back and watch the first one as a prequel. But the reason why I saw it that way was because 2 was so, by the time I'm old enough to, I really wasn't old enough to watch either one of them. But by the time I'm watching this movie, the second one was such a huge part of pop culture. It was such a huge hit. See, I wasn't born until, like, you and I weren't born until the year after the first one. Yep. So, uh, if you, I was born in July of 1985, and Terminator 1 came out in October of 1984. So... Maybe I existed. You know, that's getting really weird. I'm going to track my parents' conception based, <laughs> based of me based on Terminator. But yeah, um, Terminator 2 came out and Arnold was like the biggest star in the world. And so what I had seen him in was I'd probably seen Running Man because uh, we had that on tape and I liked that movie a lot. And I'd probably seen Predator by that point. So and Kindergarten Cop, that was the one because okay. it, you know, it was a kids movie. I mean, it's kind of funny how not a kids movie it is, but for the 80s that was a kids movie. So I mean, that that movie is pretty fucked up for a kids movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a lot of violence in it. It's like, wow. Like it's just an Arnold movie where he happens to be nice to some children for part of it. So it's kind of funny. But uh I mean, it's actually a better movie than Commando. I was kind of let down by watching Commando again. <laughs> the, thing, the thing about Commando is just that, like, com- Commando is pretty much stupid from start to finish. <laughs> pretty but dumb, it's just, yeah. you're, you're, you're like, it's just Arnold blowing shit up. And that's, and that's all you really, that's all it's entertaining for. It's great to sit there and be entertained by, but yeah, when you watch it, you're kind of like, 
yeah, this movie really has nothing. I, I mean, always thought, I always thought really... Commander was in the same league as Predator, and I was like, nah. last time I watched it, I was like, <laughs> yeah, no, it wasn't. No, Predator seems to kind of be aware of what type of movie it is, and it's almost, and it may be Shane Black's like ghostwriting for the film, but it feels like it's sort of making fun of the 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 type of movie that Commando is in a in a strange way. It's like here's what these guys would be in this situation you know yeah. <laughs> these type of macho 80s action movies it was kind of the scream of macho 80s action movies if if we were going to be really pretentious with it or i was going to be really pretentious with it because it seems to be like even the ultra macho shit at the beginning of the movie ultimately these guys all get their ass kicked you know and arnold doesn't even defeat the villain with a gun at the end you know he he doesn't really even defeat the villain at the end that he the predator is almost like a draw and the predator chooses the self-destruct you know <laughs> so it's yeah. like uh it's pretty great but yeah not talking about predator but i knew who he was and so i i, I remember the i told Stuart i remember the guns and roses music video that came out for you could be mine which was a promotional thing for terminator 2 it was all i mean you know we watched mtv all the time back then it was always on and that video came on all the time and when my parents got tickets to go see it, I wanted to go see it. I didn't know anything about it. I, I didn't even care. I was just like, I want to go see it. It's got Arnold Schwarzenegger in it. It's going to be fun. And they were like, they probably because they, they knew the first movie. And they were like, no, <laughs> you're not going to see this. And um, I was so sad that the day they, they went to go see it. But about a year later, I was at my, I was visiting my grandfather. My uncle lived there at the time, my mom's youngest brother. And he had a copy of it on VHS. And this was at a time when he was like the only person I knew that bought VHS tapes. So I got it. I asked if I could borrow it. And I think I told, I think I've told the story before, probably multiple times on the show, but I got it and I never returned it and I kept it forever. I still have it. (laughs) And I loved it so much that I wanted to see the first one and the video store that my mom always took me to the one that was near the grocery store the one that i always went to anytime she went to the grocery store uh they didn't have their copy of it was broken so i couldn't get to see the first movie and then mom was like i think we have it on tape somewhere jake just look through the vhs tape. so you know my dad was the one that always taped stuff off hbo or whatever and he would usually label label things pretty well but i'm like mom we do not have that movie we do not have terminator one so <laughs> i mean i'm looking for it for a solid two years, probably after I've seen Terminator One, because we moved, so I was probably like seven when I saw the second one. So this is seven-year-old me, which is crazy trying to find Terminator One. And two years later, we're moved into the house my parents live in now, and I'm like nine years old, and I still haven't seen it. And we went to like a family reunion, and and we had swam and swam all day, and we were all tired and and full of food and everything and we were heading home and and we were going to be on the side of town that blockbuster was on and and i and my mom never liked blockbuster she she was like morally opposed to blockbuster (laughs) because because they ran the small video independent video stores out of town you know that was just kind of how she looked at she just never liked them but i was like look they probably have terminator one that i could rent can you please let me rent it and and uh, so she goes in there and I mean, she's she, we we did have a membership. So she obviously, you know, I don't know. She just never wanted to go there. She just she she had the membership. And I guess maybe we only went there if there was absolutely no way to get something we wanted from Video Spectrum. So 
anyway, we got a copy of Terminator One, went back to the house and watched it. And it was my favorite movie from then on. Like, and I can't tell you how many times I've seen it because I eventually got it for Christmas with a in a box set with the first with the second one and and I had already worn my, my uncle's copy out, so I had a new <laughs> copy to wear out. And I mean like I've bought it so many damn times since then on different formats. But yeah. That was my origin story. What was yours? <laughs> uh so the thing was I when I remember when Terminator two came out and just how big it was didn't see it in the theaters however i had all the toys um oh yeah yeah I had too. a had a you know i had terminator had john connor sarah connor the t-1000 so i had the toys didn't see the you know didn't such see a weird movies. time man such a weird time <laughs> all the r-rated movies that you get that we that they sold us toys on yeah robocop yeah. predator all of that <laughs> rambo it was crazy time but i um so i had the toys didn't see the, didn't see the movie and i don't know i guess maybe i was about 12 or something when i finally saw it, it was on uh i remember it was on showtime and so i watched t2 and so here's the <laughs> this is the irony of of this so because i had the toys even before i saw t2 i knew that Arnold as the Terminator was the hero. The T-1000 was the villain. I didn't know at that time that people were surprised that the Terminator would end up being the hero at the start of T-2 because you're thinking, you know, based on the Terminator. So right. I see T-2 and then about when I'm about like 14 or so, I see the Terminator was also on Showtime. I remember it was a Saturday night and I just got through playing a little bit of uh, Grand Theft Auto Vice City and it was like 11, <laughs> it was like 11 o'clock and so I went and uh, so I was like, okay, it's like 11 o'clock at night. I was like, oh cool, the first Terminator. I never saw the first Terminator. Oh, you're in 80s mode for sure. You're playing Vice City. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and so I'm, so everybody was shocked in what 91 or whatever. Everybody's like gasp arnold is actually the the good guy and i'm like gasp arnold <laughs> was the bad guy yeah. in the first one so yeah. and That's so I, so i was just like so at first i'm thinking i'm like well you know when i was at that age when you know effects meant everything and i'm like all right well let me just see how long i can hold this out on because i'm sure these effects aren't going to be like all that and so one, I was so glad to be proven wrong that obviously, yes, the effects are great, even though it's the the, the film is many years older. Um, but I was surprised that I got hooked on just how much of a chase movie and how suspenseful it was. And then um, the the third act is my is my favorite um, is my favorite part um, of the whole of the whole film. Everything after the love scene is like roller coaster ride man yeah crazy and i'm so and i i was so on edge the whole time and i was just like wow this is this i was like wow so this was actually pretty good um and then years later when i finally like rewatched t2 when i first got it on uh dvd and then um blu-ray eventually and as i watch them both and they're both great films T2 is a great film. It is a oh, great absolutely. film. Absolutely. Absolutely. But there's but and for what it's trying to achieve, dude, it achieves everything it sets out to achieve. Yeah. It's but it was just that there was some there's something 
whenever whenever a movie whenever a movie is big and small so like the first terminator is is a smaller movie t2 is a much larger movie in terms of the stakes and the scale and everything there's always something that draws me to the smaller movie a bit more and there's just something i just like about that these two people are on the run from this one monster that's pretty and and that's that's pretty much even with the even with the whole storyline john connor all that stuff the future time travel even with all of that it at at its very basis it's the story of two people on the run from a monster and it that's what i ended up loving about it so like most of the time whenever i watch i watch i watch the terminator a bit more often than i do um Terminator 2. And it just always amazes me that, you know, Cameron, Cameron thought of this while he was having a fever dream. Like, but I could see it. Like when you watch it, you're like, yeah, this would be something that one would probably dream up in a fever dream. Yeah, it's pretty wild. And even like the image of the endoskeleton rising from the flames was like the first thing he drew, like concept art. And that's the great moment. I mean, I, I still think it's like one of the coolest things ever, uh, because they achieved it on on a on a you know fairly small budget and with practical effects, which they didn't have digital effects at the time, but not not in the way we have them now. But when he when the truck blows up, which he did with mixture of uh, you know miniatures and, and and other stuff, but like when he blows that truck up, which is a really great explosion, and the, and the Terminator steps out. You believe that it's Arnold. Like I don't know who was the guy and the which stuntman did it, but like it looks like Arnold on fire. You know his yeah. body shape and everything, and his they just nailed it. And it doesn't it doesn't look like most of those type of effects did at the time. Like I love a good guy walking around on fire in, a, in an eighties movie, but most of the time they look a little bit like. um because of the padding and other things, they look a little larger than they should, you know, when they're walking around and, and for like, it look, it's one of the best looking shots. And I don't know if it's just James Cameron knew exactly where to place the camera for it, but it looks believable. Like when he steps out of the truck and he falls over and you just, and then you get the gnarly close ups of the flesh melting on and you see the skin. It just looks like a human skeleton, like burning. And um, then the endoskeleton rises, like, and it's just so shiny and and clean, and it's the the heat and the smoke's coming off of it. It's great, one of the best, one of the best shots ever. And I love it. I mean, I love the stop motion stuff, like all the stuff that, like, I think when I was a kid, even because we had seen Terminator Two first, it looked a little um, jarring when the things running down the hall. And I remember talking. I remember asking my mom what she thought of it and she was like i thought she's like i think it's scary like it's something about it that's scarier with it being in stop motion that then it would have looked like especially with see like early 90s cgi was kind of ropey so um i just don't i don't think you could have done any better and there is something really creepy about it uh about the 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 way it's like walk limping along you know it's it's essentially halloween at the end like with it chasing them but instead of it being like and 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 kind of ambiguous about why it's not able to die it's because it's a robot so like i said about chucky it's something that you're like 
it makes complete sense that it would be as hardy as it is. But like, look, if they had, it's such a good movie that if they had ended the film with the truck explosion and it falling out and burning, if they had said that killed it, I'd still love this movie. Yeah. Like her and Reese embrace, they killed the monster. That's how most of these types of movies would end. Like most of your horror movie, monster movies, even going back to the Hammer Dracula stuff or the Universal Dracula or whatever, boom, that would be the end of the movie. They wouldn't even tell you why that killed it. Okay, it's a robot, whatever. We just assume, well, I guess the heat, I guess the heat killed or the explosion killed it, whatever. And we'd still probably like the movie because it's as exciting to me as the end of Jaws when the tank ex- you know blows the shark up. Okay, so cool. But then the damn thing gets up and it's like, okay, we're still going. And then the whole factory thing is really cool. And then Reese puts the pipe bomb in it and sacrifices himself, kills the thing. I don't think his intention was to die, but you know what I mean? Like, it kills him. And uh, he fights it so Sarah can get away. So that should have been the end of it. <laughs> like that, If that had been the end of it, we'd be like, Sarah lives, he dies, she's injured, she gets taken away in the ambulance. Boom. Great. Great movie. Wonderful. But then the dang thing still gets up and chases it's like and as a kid and even just watching it for this it doesn't matter that i've seen it a thousand times i'm still like like on the edge of my seat during that whole chase scene in the factory i just love it but uh and the fact that she's injured and having to drag herself it's injured and having to drag itself like it's just james can't really knock it out of the park with that and i do feel that same kind of tension in t2 but it's not, it's different because there's something that's more, there's something that's different about the the endoskeleton that kind of makes sense to me. Whereas the T-1000 is kind of pseudoscience, you know, it's like whatever, you know, to me, I mean, there may be something like that one day. I just saw this weird thing online right before we started the show that looked kind of like the T-1000 that they were trying to make like a. Like, and I've heard of like, you know, nanobots since Metal Gear Solid came out. In the, in the 90s. And I always kind of assumed that the T-1000 is like nanotechnology or something. But when it came out, that shit might as well have just been magic. You know what I mean? So there was something more supernatural feeling about T2, whereas the first movie just felt, it felt organic. And, and, and there's something about it that I still, it's appealing to me. But it's also, I didn't know this about myself then, but it's the type of movie that I like. Like, I like John Carpenter films, and I like um, a Grindhouse exploitation horror and, 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 and low-budget science fiction movies. Like, that's, that's, my, that's my happy place. Like, Terminator blends all that stuff into one film experience. Uh, with some really great action scenes thrown in just, just for fun and characters that I like, so... It's like everything I like about everything that I get excited about movies right there in one film for me. And it does that all pretty well. Like the science fiction element is is maybe a little lighter, um, but it's still, you know, like they never really try to delve into why time travel works or, you know, they don't show the time machine or, you know, so it's not hard science fiction by any means, but that kind of makes it even more fun. That's actually kind of the problem with the sequels. They try too hard to, you know, show too much of that. So, yeah, I, I, I it was funny because I, um, 
I had a, a shelf this week, a shelf of uh, of uh, Blu-rays just fell over. The whole thing just fell over, so I had to, <laughs> I had to clean all of it. I had to uh, clean sucks. all of them up, and um, I was had I found the uh, Terminator, my Terminator Blu-ray, so I could watch it. Um, and then I was like, oh, let me let me just get them all in order. And so on Blu-ray, I have T uh, one through Salvation, T one through Salvation, and I was going to, and I was like, I should do, I was like, I should do a rewatch. I was like, I need, I should do a rewatch of these. But yeah, I think the, 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 one, I think the story is great ending at two, at the end of T2, I think ends the story perfectly. It's Um, the only way to satisfyingly end it. Yeah. Um, it's been a if you don't mind a set, an unsatisfying ending, then the others are kind of fine. They're fine. They're totally fine. Yeah. It's <laughs> Even... been a long time since I've seen three, and I don't remember. I can't even remember. There's what some I would really be. cool stuff in it. That's all I can say for three. Yeah, it's, 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 there's been a cool long time. stuff in it, but there's a lot of not cool stuff. In it. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't have that same reaction when I watched the first two. I mean, they're still so good, and I'm just like. There's such a huge, steep drop-off point. What Stuart and I were talking about, this Terminator 1 is really just a B-movie that a yeah. really talented guy elevated it. I'm not saying it was only him. It was him and everybody else that worked on it, but I'm saying James Cameron elevated what could have just been a Roger Corman film because that's where he came from. He came from that same place. But that's certainly what Parada 2 is. Yeah, and he learned how to make these this movie on the budget that he made it as good as he made it because of his experience with Corman and working on, I mean, he was the set painter for, or the map painter for John Carpenter with Escape from New York. I mean, he was around, he was around some really great filmmakers and some people who maybe weren't great filmmakers, but were like knew how to make a movie and how to bring it in on time and under budget and that sort of thing, you know? And so he was around this enough to kind of learn his way. So when he does the Terminator, he has a really great idea. But it could have, if if anyone else, I feel like, had made this movie, it would have just been another one of those schlocky 80s. It might have been a fun movie, but it would have been another one of those schlocky 80s movies. And they probably would have maybe made it more graphically violent so that they could sell it. And it would have, and I'm not saying... It's not what it really surprises me when you go back and watch the Terminator is it is it has the sensibilities. It's actually a really beautifully shot, yeah, especially for the budget that it is. But it's just really well framed and like the lighting is dead on, like really great. Like I'm I'm actually kind of impressed, especially if you see watching it when I was a kid, I couldn't appreciate that as much. Or even as a teenager, I couldn't appreciate it as much because the cop quality of the prints were pretty rough. So it just kind of felt like your typical 80s low budget movie. But when you see it now, you're like, okay, no, this is actually a pretty good looking film, especially like the way they light everything, which James Cameron typically does pretty good with that, especially at this period. But I mean, it's maybe not as dynamic as T2 because it didn't have the budget, but it's the same. You can still see the same guy behind the camera kind of through it, you know, like if he had had the T2 budget for Terminator 1, it would have it would have. I don't know that it, I don't know. It might not have been as good. You know, I don't know. It's hard to say what it would have been, how much of the res- restrictions actually, like with Jaws, how much of that made the movie what it was. You know what I mean? But it's, it's just something about, it's something about the fact that like 
that surprised me about it is what is that? That's <laughs> you. You got a you got someone coming in from time displacement. Yeah, that's weird. Oh, it was the Roku remote. Like somebody had pressed the button on it. Hold on a second. Here, leave my water alone. <laughs> There's your Roku remote. Um, so yeah, what what was really um, what really struck me about it was the. What was I even trying to say? That totally threw me off. I was actually going somewhere with that. I hate that feeling. <laughs> Hold on. Um, oh, if it had been a, a grindhouse horror film, that it kind of is in that vein. But it's not really one of those movies. And I'm not saying that like those movies are somehow inferior because I love a lot of those movies. What I'm saying is the scene. Well, he Cameron kind of pulls back a little bit with the violence in the early part of the movie. It, the, the first scene pretty much is Arnold ripping the dude's heart out. So I'm saying like, it's there. Like that scene seemed really violent to me as a kid. Like that seemed very visceral when he rips that dude's heart out, you know, he's got blood all over his hands. Like that feels like a, that, I mean, that's something like you would see in like in a, in a horror film at that time. But after that, like even when he shoots uh, Dick, Dick and Dick Miller in the, um in the gun store, and then when he, um, you know, all the violence, like, leading up, like, the Sarah Connors that he kills, like, there's something the way they're edited that they feel, kind of like we were talking about Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like, it feels like it's a more violent picture. Yeah. But he kind of pulls his punches until the nightclub scene. And that, like I was telling Stuart, always felt horrific, that in the police station scene. But they feel even more horrific now, like, those scenes... Like, like you'd never see that in a movie now. Like, it wouldn't. I, I don't think. Like, I, I just. And granted, he, he's not a human, so it gets a pass. But I'm just saying, like, Terminator is like not. It's like a. It is a slasher film in a way, but it's a slasher film with guns. So there is like a different dynamic. It's not the same as Michael Myers with a knife killing people kind of in the shadows. The Terminator just walks into a building and starts blowing people away. And there's something really horrific about that because they don't know he's a machine. Yeah. It's just some dude with a machine gun and shotgun just gunning people down. And that feels more horrific now than it probably even did in 1984 when you watch it. So there's something powerful that's still and I don't think tank there's no way Cameron was even thinking of you know thinking about that. Like how many what the the guy in the sixties from the from the watchtower was like the most famous mass shooting at that point. Like there was nothing like that going on on the regular, like there is now, you know? So there's something even more horrific about that first Terminator now, I think, but, and I'm not saying that like as a detractor to the film, I mean, the horror works and, but I just, the scene with ginger when he kills ginger, uh, which that happens, like I said, after like during the nightclub thing. So, I mean, like right before it. So, I mean, that scene is the first that scene feels like it came straight out of a slasher film when he kills ginger but he's still shooting her and there's something really loud and abrasive about that versus you know that's what... all, that that's, that's exactly what i was uh, just was just thinking i think the thing is it's like when yeah when he shoots and you're thinking it's like okay maybe one shot two shot okay you're thinking okay that's it but then he just keeps pulling the trigger. He empties the clip in her, yeah. I mean, it's and, like... And, Ar- and, and Arnold's um, performance where nothing on him is moving but the finger. 
And that's where, like you said, that's that makes it feel far more brutal than what you're actually seeing. Because we don't actually see, you know, we don't, it's not like we see the bullets going into her, not like in, like I said, in something like Commando or anything like that. It's just that and um, the score. I think those moments combined with the score really make it feel. I think the you were saying earlier how it's like it, it's a B movie that Cameron helps elevate. I think the score also is kind of what helps um, elevate it. I would agree. This it creates, and even when you just listen to it isolated from the movie, it creates such a great atmosphere. It feels to me like the science fiction version of John Carpenter's Halloween score. You know, like it's that same, uh, just you know you're in it's different it's different than like i've heard a lot of movies rip it off since then but it's different than than what you would typically get in a movie like that um and like just with like just like with halloween it's it absolutely builds its own atmosphere you're you're right you're dead on about it man i mean it was really elements certain elements just kind of came together for it um i mean it there's something to about the um the fact that it is it is pretty horrific and it, and it takes itself just serious enough when i was younger i took it super serious like this movie was like high art to me like <laughs> like it's it was an important film to me and it, i mean it, it it still is to a lot of people but i'm just saying like now i kind of feel like the average person probably looks at it as a just a almost like a b movie i don't know but um, and I feel like the franchise itself is to blame partly because the second movie feels like a much higher concept than even the first one with its ideas of value of human life and all that kind of stuff added in. And that that either goes a long way with you or it doesn't as a film goer. For me, it works. I love the second one for that reason. Like, I like that it subverts the trope. But the sequels became the B-movies. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, the sequels after T2 absolutely became B-movies that Terminator 1 elevated above. It, that most, most definitely. Yeah, it's... it's. I do have to get... I gotta give the rest of them another, another <laughs> they're, go. They're still fun, man. But I, I'm just... I, I, like I said, I, I, I actually did... And the show, actually. I enjoyed that. Yeah, too, I, have to re- but... I, ha- I have to rewatch the show. I have, I have both seasons on on DVD, but I need to um, I need to rewatch it because I only actually only ever saw the, the complete first season. I never actually saw the second season. Yeah, no, the second season's good. I mean, but the the second season has like maybe six episodes in the middle when because it wasn't as lo- it was longer than the first season, so it's got like six seven episodes that maybe if the show had gotten to continue beyond, it would matter. But like, it's just a there was a drag in the middle, and I kind of get like when I step like I was really into it when it was on TV. Cause I was like, well, I mean, it's not great. I can definitely criticize like some of the CW esqueness of it. Uh, it feels kind of like they're doing, they're marrying the atmosphere of Terminator with Buffy, the vampire slayer in kind of a weird way, but everything was doing that at that time. Yeah. Everything was tapping into that Joss Whedon's style for better or for worse. And this was before Joss Whedon, all that stuff surfaced about him. So we, as a public had, thought that that's what we wanted things to be for a while you know <laughs> like and 
uh, yeah, I mean, we'll, we could talk about the show on a whole other <laughs> thing, but yeah, I mean, it, it's not terrible. I mean, there's actually some really strong character moments on the show because they didn't have the budget to do the big action scenes. So they would save those for like uh, mid season, you know, breaks or, or season finales where you'd get like really high caliber, like action scenes. But they never could quite achieve anything as remotely as good as what the movies have. And they, but for to their credit, they didn't really try. Like that wasn't really what the show was. So, and I would say, in terms of writing and character moments, at least in a number, at least in a handful of episodes, including the very last episode ever, they and then the the season finale of of the first season and the season finale of the second season were better than anything in the movies after t2 <laughs> like i would I, I would because they actually got it you know what i mean like there's a i'll just blow well you've seen the first season i love that scene where uh john sees his dad when he's yeah. a little kid playing in the park i freaking thought that was amazing like i thought that was if you were gonna play around with because those are the kind of things when i was a kid and I would, and that was kind of fun to think about the science fiction that because because the movie didn't answer a bunch of questions about time travel and stuff. Then you start asking yourself, okay, well, if Reese is John's dad, when was Reese born? You know, <laughs> like, yep. like okay, so if they in the second movie, if they delay or prevent Judgment Day, well, then Reese would be born like normal. And would John meet him still, you know, like how would that work? You know, like would he, he obviously didn't fade away like in back to the future. So those rules don't apply. So yeah, it was always really fun to think about and totally try to wrap your mind around it. Uh, did you ever try to theorize any about time travel and the timey-wimeyness of it all? No, uh, no, I, I, I've seen some theories, but no, I never tried to put it. I mean, do you person. think that it's too lightweight? in that regard to even really consider or do you think that that's just not the point of this franchise so you just never really latch that much onto it see that that's that is something that i've always wondered sometimes i always wonder did we try to put too much on it after because like i get it like you know you have t1 t2 and the story you have the story kind of ending there and sometimes i wonder well i don't know i don't know i can't say if, if us as as viewers i just i think that somehow well how i mean it, how did it hit you because you you are a sci-fi fan but oh, did, yeah. did, did, that that's not really what means anything to you with terminator i, I don't guess like it's no not, it, it, it no and it's it's weird because it usually it usually so like me i love a i love a time travel story uh in general if it's kind of if it's set up as a time travel story, right? Time travel is a part of Terminator, but it's not the story. But it's yeah, it's but it's not part of it. And I think that when when the later films really try to do more as far as like the time travel or just or timelines in general, that's when I think they kind of began to lose the you know lose the plot here. Um, but yeah, that's 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 always the thing. Like I said, and I love me a good thing about time travel, especially if it's um, a part of the story or if that is what the story uh, is. Um, almost kind of like with um, like the um, the recent Star, you know, the recent Star Trek movies. Time travel is kind of what started that new trilogy, but 
it ain't about, you know, it's not really about time travel, even though they've incorporated it into, you know, shows like Picard or whatever. But which yeah, I, I still think, need to, I need to watch, I watched the first episode and really liked it. So I was like kind of yeah, interested same. to see where that goes. I need to maybe pick up on that tonight. But. Yeah, I got to catch, I'm a few episodes behind too. But yeah, I thought it was, um, I, I think it began to do something that wasn't uh, necessary. And that's, and that's another reason why I do, because I've seen people try to piece it together. Oh, I've tried. I, I've sat down and thought too much about it for way too long. And the only way to piece it together is to say, well, this timeline begat this timeline and this timeline begat that timeline. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, okay. But that's so unsatisfying. <laughs> you know, like, like, so I'm guessing like, for, like, for example, the most recent film, Dark Fate. So my assumption is that take, that takes place after two, but they all take place. <laughs> well, oh yeah, true, true. <laughs> but I mean, like that one kind of takes place like immediately after two, and I don't. Well, I always forget. I don't know how where Genesis fit in. Je- you know, it's funny. Here's thought- here's my belief. I can simplify it, but here's where I'm going with this. Okay, Terminator One, as it existed, if there had never been another film, is actually the best science fiction movie of all of them. If you were just looking at it as a science fiction film, because it doesn't really go into detail, but it, but that whole scene at the police station where he, where they're like, well, when Silverman, Dr. Silverman's asking him all those questions about, well, why didn't you bring a ray gun? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? And Reese is like, well, nothing dead can go through the Tom machine and nothing can go back. So it's a one way ticket and we're stuck here. So it's either me, either, you know, I kill the Terminator or the Terminator kills Sarah or kills me or whatever. It's me or him. You know, it's not a there's OK. That was the most brilliant. The way that James Cameron handles the exposition in that first movie is unbelievably good because it's either on the run in the car, the scene. And then you learn everything about the future from those two flashbacks. His dream nightmare in the car when he's sitting in the car and he falls asleep watching the heavy machinery and then at the end the you know after they escape from the police station and he you know she's he's telling her about the future and then i guess sarah kind of has a dream about it you know and then you hear reese tell her a little bit about the extermination camps in the car when they're on when they're still on the run from the terminator before they before the police capture them and that's all you need like that and the interrogation scene where he gives the description, you know, the uh, understanding of why he came to the future naked and didn't have a special laser gun and all that. That was brilliant. That's all like, like Silverman says that this is, this part is brilliant. That part is designed for you to, it's, it's, it's really designed so that you don't spend the rest of the movie trying to figure out these things. Right. Yeah. So the only thing you got to then figure out is the twist, right? So we pretend we're in 1984 and then we're thinking about the movie after we leave the theater. You're like, okay, so Reese was John's father. There's a time paradox, okay? Yeah. And it's a closed loop paradox. Everything that happens by the end of that first movie doesn't set up a sequel. It literally just set its own events up. So John is born, he meets Reese, he sends Reese back to the future, back, back to the future, back to the past. So in the tournament, you know, like it's a closed loop. Like if they never made T2, this, these events just play out over and over and over again in a yeah. closed loop. Well, see, and now, now I will admit that is a question. That is the question 
that I always did have, and I don't know if I've always been missing it. Okay, you know, time. I don't know. I guess it's just. I'm, yeah, I'm always trying. Everything's I'm, I'm, a paradox. Turn, yeah, because I was just always figure out how does how does Skynet how, can't. It's the chicken before the egg. Skynet can't exist without sending the Terminator back, and because they kind of revealed that in the second yeah. one, they actually revealed that in the first one. It was actually in the script, and the scene where the scene cuts off, you know, really hard, abrupt, like fade to like not even fade to black, smash cut to black when the ambulance doors shut. It fade, you know, it goes black and then it cuts to the, you know, sometime in the future where she's pregnant with John. That scene actually continues on if you watch the deleted scenes. I have the, seen that. Yep. Yeah, and the camera pans up and it's Cyberdyne where mm-hmm. they were at the factory, which you kind of get that is the case in the second movie, but it doesn't really look anything like the same Cyberdyne. So it's like, you know, if you're watching the first movie, it almost feels like when you watch the second one that they hadn't even thought about all that. But then when you see that deleted scene, you're like, holy crap, they actually did. Think, like James Cameron was thinking about that. Like that was already in the story. So if you consider that, then you have to consider the fact that Skynet can't exist without John and John can't exist without Skynet. This is a paradox. Yeah. So they're both trying to kill each other. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like literally gonna make sure that neither one of them exists so and, um, and that that was why i've always like you know with all the kind of the the craziness that that the sequels have have gone through uh in in the wake of after the first two that's why like one of the things that i've kind of always thought would be an interesting idea I, this is actually what i thought was kind of the one like positive thing that i took away from genesis when i saw it was that um sarah is kind of like well i don't want this and i then i was like well you know what that would be kind of a decent idea if you had like a terminator movie where john kind of learns that there's a timeline where his mother doesn't want to have him and he kind of has and he's trying to and he's wrestling with how to protect his own existence or whatever. Not necessarily right. because yeah. of war or anything. Yeah, yeah. Just because he just wants to he just wants to he That's just wants so to depressing exist. though. Like that's it is. So I know I don't know. I know it wouldn't I don't it wouldn't actually work. It's just it's just something that I No, I mean it I might do. work, but that's a very depressing thought. Like <laughs> it's a it becomes a, a familiar like a family drama versus you know, no, which you, you do you do kind of get that a little bit with elements of that with T two, if you think about it. And you get elements of that in the show too. Because I think that there's a lot of cool like meaty stuff that happens between Terminator 1 and 2 um what 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 you get ultimately if you think about that that the whole they have to exist they have to figure out a way to coexist if they if the war was really going to end but ultimately they're both going to destroy each other was it intentional or was that a cold war allegory you know i don't know because yeah. in a way if you look at the whole nuclear apocalypse and all that those elements those that was because of what Cameron grew up in and post, you know, in the cold war and the whole, in the eighties and the whole Reagan era, it was super fever pitched, you know, like the, the Russians versus the, the Soviets versus the Americans and the whole cold war and everybody's nuclear weapons pointed at each other. I mean, that the Terminator was very much in the zeitgeist. That's part of the reason why it was so popular. It's also part of the reason why by the time you get to 
the post I mean the Soviet Union failed right at the time T T2's being made, you know. It failed during the time T two was being made or at least written. And then the Gulf War broke out when T two was being filmed. Like they were filming those scenes at the mental asylum when the Gulf War started. So there was something very relevant when Terminator came out and when Terminator two came out that felt very relevant. It made the movies feel more important than maybe they, at least like if there was any type of symbolism or message to be taken from them, it felt very important in a way that when Terminator three came out, it didn't feel that important anymore because uh, it came out in what? Oh, three. And yeah. we're post nine 11. Yeah. But we're post Soviet union. We're post cold war. All the ideas about all the, like you got a whole nother group of kids. Like I'm old enough to still remember being scared of the thought of nuclear war. But like a whole bunch of other kids are coming up with Terminator 3 and they're like, oh, this is my dad's, this is a sequel to my dad's favorite movie. And I don't know shit about what it was like to be scared of nuclear <laughs> war, you know, <laughs> like, granted now we're back in another cold war pretty much. So it's like, we're kind of maybe back to that, but I'm just saying like there was a period in 03 where Terminator felt really outdated, you know, but now it doesn't feel as outdated anymore. So, but um, I feel like Terminator 2 with what it, the questions it asks about fate is the only way Cameron can go at that point. And how much of that is Cameron? How much of that is William Wisher's contributions? I'm not sure, but regardless, um, I mean, some of it's Linda Hamilton too, like, especially with Sarah, but the whole idea of, okay, we're making a sequel to a movie that is a closed loop time paradox that there's no real way to make a sequel to that. Unless one of these characters in post Terminator one, decides to change the future like that's the only way you could break that paradox of that time loop so in a way terminator 2 breaks the logic and the and the loop of this first movie so in a way it kind of destroys <laughs> this is the first movie it it actually ruins the franchise terminator 2 ruins the franchise <laughs> but intentionally but not intentionally but in a way it kind of does because it the first movie was almost a near perfect like science fiction horror action movie and the second one has to have those characters take their own fate in their hands but what they what I, what I mean and when I'm and I'm being honest about it like T2 does that really wonderfully like I really like what it does but it's a different world by that point and it was kind it kind of came way later so and it became such a well-crafted action movie and that's just what people thought they were going to get again with Terminator 3. So inevitably it failed. <laughs> In a way, Terminator 2 also created or or at least set the template for like so many other action movies that came out. I mean, like I feel like even Marvel movies, like watching yeah. like some of the action spectacle of the Marvel movies, it feels like they're, they're kind of following the James Cameron template a little bit. Uh, even the length of T2 feels kind of like, the template for like the future of marvel and like the stuff that they do especially with the winter soldier and things like that just the, the up in the ante with the action and the sequels and all that kind of stuff it i feel like there's a little bit of james cameron dna in there but um i mean that i feel like terminator 2 and sam raimi spider-man have influenced more movies and are and that where we are now than than and i would say batman 89 even those three feel like they have influenced more movies now than anything that else that came out in the 70s and 80s <laughs> like yeah i could believe it like it's kind of crazy like that's all 
that's ninety nine percent of what gets made now. Or uh, you could almost trace the trace it back to those three, um, at least in the the ones that make all the money in the in the box office. So it's kind of weird. I'm talking about like just the big blockbuster action spectacles or the or the superhero movies. Like you wouldn't have Spider Man. I would. You wouldn't have You wouldn't have Batman eighty nine without Superman seventy eight. And you wouldn't have Spider-Man without Batman 89. But then you wouldn't have any of these other fucking things without Spider-Man. So it's like... And T2 also. Like, I just... Those movies really did... In the same way that Jaws and... And, uh, you know, movies like that spawned a whole bunch of other movies. So did these movies. But I don't think Terminator 1 by itself does that. I think it just becomes a really great movie that people remember from 84. And they never franchise it out. T2 is the reason why it became a friend. I mean, obviously it became a sequel, but it was the popularity and the, what that movie made people feel that made them think we want like seven more of these movies (laughs) (laughs) and not one of them has been on the same level. I was really hoping dark fate would hit that hit it, but it didn't. I was just, I was just bored. See, I liked it a little more than you did, but I, but I mean like, because I enjoyed it. Like, I had fun with it. And I had fun with it when I watched it again. I think it's actually fun. I think. I mean, I agree. I mean, I understand you You were bored by it. Yeah. And, you're re- and, you, and, and your reasoning for it made sense. Like, I totally get where you're coming from. It doesn't. Yeah. I, yeah the Sorry. thing was, for me, that was just. I mean, talk about that. That really tried to just redo what came before. And, like, I got it. But I was just like, eh, it just was. Yeah, it was just yeah. I, I do. I I probably should give it another shot. Um, actually, the sequel I've seen the most actually is Salvation, which I think if it didn't have like the Marcus stuff, would have made it would have really elevated it. Yeah, uh, I think Salvation's way better than everybody says. I do. I think that uh, it probably has its more of its own thing going on than any of the other sequels. Yeah. It actually kind of fits for me in a headcanon. If I was going to watch it, I think it works a little better if you watch it between Terminator 1 and 2, and you can kind of do that with it. Um, I know that sounds weird, but it kind of works for me that way because it feels more like it's paying tribute to the first movie more than it's paying tribute to the second one. And T2 feels so much like it's a change of course, and I think Salvation feels more like Here's how I look at it, and I was telling you I was going to get nerdy about it, but I'll do it very <laughs> briefly because we need to end the episode soon because I got kids losing their damn minds out there. <laughs> but uh, Terminator 1 is its own thing, but I don't, I think if if, if you don't want to go with the whole time loop paradox thing, the only way it makes sense is that Reese was not John Connor's original father at some point. That is what I think, that is what I, my or my main thought as well. That- and I think that totally works. Like, let's say in the original unaltered timeline Sarah just meets some dude and maybe she has a relationship with him and maybe it, it's the one time thing and she gets knocked up and that's John Connor and maybe when John sends Reese back he's just told her the legend everybody knows the legend of Sarah Connor and he has the picture and he's maybe because she's the only woman he's ever really been able to look at that way because everybody's just trying to survive every day that he genuinely becomes infatuated with the legend. And when he meets her, he falls in love with her or whatever, or just in lust with her or whatever, because he really doesn't seem like he's thought about 
sex or relationships at all until that point, you know? And because when she's asking, is there a woman that you like? And he's like, women are great soldiers or some shit like that. <laughs> he's, is, you know, he's not, he doesn't think about things like that. But when he's with her in that moment, it, you know, it kind of, oh, yeah, I kind of ignored these feelings, you know. And that's kind of cool. And I'm thinking, okay, well, there's where the alteration of the timeline happens. And, and maybe the Terminators do exist in the future, but maybe they all the reason why the T-1000 exists in T-2 is because of the advancement of the technology from the chip and all that that they gathered in the first movie, because that maybe wasn't part of the original timeline, you know, so that kind of gives you a also obviously something's different with the time displacement equipment because they destroy it after the Skynet is essentially defeated and the Terminator program of sending it using the time displacement equipment is like a fail safe device. That wasn't in ever in the war ever up until that point. It was literally like an experimental fail safe device and Skynet used it because it, it it's like maybe when it's core shut down, when John Connor and the resistance destroyed them, destroyed Skynet, that was its fail safe device, like a doomsday machine. Hmm. So that's how I look at it. So then you get the T2 and it's a different future. The Terminators are more advanced. The time displacement equipment is more commonly used. And it literally begins almost like a time war, like a war through time. And maybe all these other little Terminator things that happen through the shows and the movies and all that shit is just one giant time war. <laughs> and the resistance in the show is even utilizing it's not just the Terminators using time machines. It's the Resistance using time machines. So it's a re- legitimately a time war, and each side is using time travel. And that would be super cool if a filmmaker actually had the pl- could plan it, the storyline out in a coherent way. You know what I mean? And it has to have the ability to be ended at some point. It has to. Otherwise, it's just time travel can become this thing. It's just it becomes Doctor Who, but it's not as good as Doctor Who, you know, like it's just too much. And like you said, that's not what what we loved the Terminator for initially. It wasn't that it wasn't the time. The time stuff was just cool, but it was like a backdrop to what we now become. it, It honestly has now become the focus because I'll see when I see, you know, critiques or whatever of the current movies and then a lot of them will always be based on how well this movie this movie broke the this movie broke the uh the timeline and it's like well yeah but you see it you know in the beginning with t1 and t2 it really wasn't about that they were just devices to help get the story going they weren't really about that but they now become about that which is why like you said, you need somebody, maybe Christopher Nolan can do it at some point. He he knows how to plan those things out like perfectly. I saw Tenet. I still don't get Tenet, but uh <laughs> Tenet is part of Terminator. You didn't know? It's part <laughs> of the time it's part of the time war, dude. <laughs> and, <laughs> no. Shoot that, shoot, who knows? You could tie it in because the whatever whoever it was in, in Tenet developed that whatever it was that helped <laughs> helped you travel you backwards. Oh, have you ever seen the movie um 
Primer. Have you ever seen that? Oh my God, I love that. I love okay. that. That is part I, I of the Terminator like universe too. <laughs> but I love it. I like to think of that as part of the like. These are the dudes that have ultimately invented the time machine. <laughs> yeah, like I, I don't understand half of it. I love that that movie like uses just the straight up scientific jargon. Yes, it's I don't so understand. cool. No, me neither. It's I don't so understand cool. a word of it, but I I totally there. believe it though. Yeah, I know. I sit there and I watch it. I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to make sense of this. I, like, I don't get it. But it, it's so cool to watch. Yeah, I love that movie. I need to get that. Yeah, I do too. It's. I saw it when it, I remember when it first hit the festivals, and it was like I read an article about it, and I was like, I have to see this damn movie. And as soon as I had the chance, I was living in Wilmington, and I was really hardcore into wanting to make a movie myself. And so I, as soon as I had the chance to see it, I don't even remember how I saw it now, but when I finally saw it. I loved it. I was like, this is cool as shit. <laughs> like, I don't understand anything that's happening. And nobody else in the room that I watched it with liked it. But I thought it was great. So. I, I saw it on a, um, I was taking uh, this um, nighttime, like, film class or whatever. And it was in this old folks home. So the only people in the classroom was old folks and me. They had, they had like a little. Oh yeah, you little, told me about that because you guys. Yeah, you told me about that. Yeah, they had a little. They had a little movie theater in there, and it was cool. And um, we watched it, and they 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 didn't they didn't get it, and they was looking to me as the as the youngest guy in the room, and I was like, yeah, I don't get it either. I was like, I don't understand it. I love it. I, I enjoyed the hell out of it, but I, I didn't get it. Well, it was something about the performances that worked made it work for me because I'm like, well, these guys are way smarter than I am. But uh, uh, yeah, this is cool. <laughs> but I mean, it's time travel, so it made sense that it would be that freaking complicated. Um, but yeah, so let's say Terminator One is the is the new start of the new timeline. Like the events of Terminator One actually did alter the timeline. That's why in Terminator Salvation, John Connor doesn't understand this future because it doesn't match up with what his mom thought the future was based on what Reese, who comes from the original unaltered timeline, described it as. And then, then in Salvation is what ultimately when they start fighting back and, and winning against Skynet, like with blowing up the factory in the first movie and all that kind of stuff. Because he doesn't even act like he trusts Terminators, whereas the John Connor and T2 did trust Terminators. So that's why I said it kind of works because he acts like he totally freaked out by this terminator with marcus and i know it's supposed to be because he's kind of sort of human and more human than terminator but i i just it doesn't make sense like that connor doesn't fit like christian bell's john connor doesn't work for me the same way that that um you know the john connor and t2 like it doesn't seem like the same john connor like he he reacts to things totally differently so it kind of works for me is like here's john connor based off of his experiences only from what his mother told him. And that's why he's so nothing's matching up perfectly for him. And he's struggling and he's not, he's just not having a good time in Terminator Salvation, which is part of what makes that movie a bit of a slog is that Christian Bale is not having a good time behind the scenes and he's not having a good time in front of, you know, with the character. So it just, the whole movie maybe could have used a little bit more charismatic, you know, charismatic performance or whatever. But if you just look at it as a straight war movie, in that regard and don't and try not to fit it into the template of t2 it kind of works for me so then t3 is a fucking parody of t2 but (laughs) if you want to make it work it is the legitimate sequel to terminator 3 but then the time war starts (laughs) 
<laughs> the time war starts and that's what the events of the series are the, the series goes into so much detail about who got sent back to what and all the resistance fighters that got sent back some of them all the way to the 1800s there's terminators that are sent back all over the place like it's a full-scale time war and both sides are using time machines and screwing all kinds of shit up so then the events of in whatever time altered timeline we are in now the events of terminator genesis occur and genesis is actually an attempt by skynet to fix all the time paradoxes and that is why there's all this weird crap going on with this new skynet trying to take over john connor and all this other stuff because it's actually trying to make sure that the entire space-time continuum isn't ripped open you know and destroyed so if you look at Terminator Gen- and I'm pretending like these movies are actually all good movies, but so, but if you look at the events of T Terminator Genesis, by the end of that one, it seems to have sort of a conclusion until the post credit scene setting up a sequel that never happened. Yeah. Where you see the uh, Skynet essentially is defeated in Terminator Genesis, but at the end you see a, it kind of wake up in like a backup core somewhere like like it had a backup system that enabled after it was destroyed and that enabled it to send back maybe it just activates long enough to send back one more terminator as once again another doomsday every time they destroy it it sends it does something to change the past so if terminator genesis is skynet cleaning up from the time war and all the paradoxes the very, very end is when it sends back the Terminator Genesis model T-800 from that timeline. Because if you look at the design, this is super nerdy. If you look at the design of the Endo in Terminator Dark Fate, it's from a timeline that no longer exists. But it's actually the Endo looks like the Terminator Genesis Endo, not the Terminator 2 Endo. So at the end post credits of Terminator Genesis is when it sends that Terminator back. And the only way it can ultimately clean the timeline once and for all is to send it back to the, to the directly or within two years of the end of Terminator two or one year or whatever, whatever it is to kill John Connor and it succeeds and it kills that timeline. It successfully destroys all the paradoxes, but it also kills itself in that moment. So it's not just trying to kill John Connor. It's actually just trying to, end everything it logically decides everything has to die john connor has to die scott has to die everything has to die however (laughs) because people are people and ultimately it's fate if you want to call it that there's still some sort of skynet is shit going on so that's what leads into the events of dark fate that's why sarah connor doesn't matter anymore that's why john connor doesn't matter anymore. that's why skynet doesn't matter anymore but you still that still makes Dark Fate super unsatisfying because, okay, everything we know doesn't matter anymore. And here we are with a new Skynet that's called Legion. And where we have this woman who's no longer like her timeline is dead. The term and we meet a Terminator who's from a dead timeline. There is no John Connor. But now there's this other woman who's basically John Connor. You know, like, and it just does the same thing again that we've already seen. So it's super unsatisfying. I remember there was no, there was no Reese either because I think it was. Yeah. Basically the, the new hero character who's like a hybrid 
uh, enhanced human is basically the Reese character. Yeah, and that's made. It's not that it's a bad movie. There's some good action scenes. It's some fun shit. It's cool to see Linda Hamilton again, in my opinion. And Arnold's actually fun in it. Like, I think he gives his best Terminator performance by far. I like him much more than I liked him in three or Genesis. But it's a fucking pointless movie, dude. <laughs> that's the only way I could make sense of the timeline, though. If I wanted to be, like, super nerdy about it and actually put it out there for people to see just how nerdy I am. You know, like, that's the only way I could think of it that it would make sense. And that's not taking anything from the video games or the novels or any of the other stuff that people have written about it. Comic books. (laughs) Game on Genesis, Sega Genesis. Loved it. Yeah. (laughs) I had it on the Nintendo. It was awful on the Nintendo. But yeah, I've heard the Sega Genesis one was good. And you know that uh, the one on PlayStation 4, and and I don't know if it's on Xbox as well. um, It's like actually a prequel to or supposed to tie into the first two movies pretty well and it does it's just it's not that great of a game but it's not a terrible game but the atmosphere is good and the music they use a lot of the brad fidel or fidel however you say his name they use a lot of his score in it which gives it that terminator atmosphere and there's some cool stuff cool little easter eggs because it's like you're in 2029 but you're in the james cameron 2029 like it feels like this future from the first two movies and you um actually see like like at one point you see a human being in a chair dead and he in like a skynet facility and he looks exactly like robert patrick (laughs) and he's like oh okay they just killed that dude but they took his likeness and used it for the c1000 so there's some cool little things and i think it ultimately ties into them sending reese back at the beginning of terminator one so it actually works as a prequel to t1 even though it takes place in the future but you're basically just playing a resistance fighter and and it and it is a really cool game for the atmosphere, but the combat's kind of boring. And you know, it's like how many times can you kill these little Skynet spider bots? You only see Endos once in a while. They're super impossible to kill, so you're running from them, which actually makes sense from a storyline perspective. But it's an unsatisfying game because it's like you feel so underpowered. You know what I mean? But how do you how do you do that in a way that doesn't break the mold of just being like? You're, if you're too overpowered, the Terminators aren't scary anymore. So Yeah. Oh. What was the name of that one? Uh, it was Terminator Dawn of Fate or Fate. Dawn... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that... I think it was Dawn of Fate. Was it Dawn of Fate? Oh, no, wait. That, that was Dawn, Dawn of Fate. That was on the PS. That one was on the PS2. <laughs> I can't uh, remember the name of it, man. Yeah. Anyway. So, yeah. That's my super nerdy uh, headcanon. Yeah. But, really, you were 100% right. Terminator 1 and 2. That's all you really need to see. Yeah. We will talk about Terminator 2 when we get closer to the sequel, you know, sequel list. Because we'll definitely do an episode, at least watch that with something else that it pairs with. There's a movie that I I think it pairs with really surprisingly well, but it's more of like a, more of the B-movie version of it. Did you ever, did you ever buy into that whole, like, People always tried to put Alien and Predator together, but people always wanted to put Robocop versus Terminator when I was a kid. Did you ever hear any about that? I I, I think I saw a comic, maybe a comic. The closest I ever get, the closest I get now is um, both Robocop and uh, the T-800 are in uh, Mortal Kombat 11. So yeah. I'll, I'll play them most of the time. That's cool. Yeah, see, I love Robocop, but I never really once as a kid entertained the idea that those took place in the same universe. No, yeah, no. I mean, 
yeah, no, that's too. They they're just both too. They're just both way too different. Alien and Predator can feel yeah. make yeah. like it makes sense, but those two are just way too. Verhoeven is on something totally different than Cameron. Yeah, I mean, I, I like RoboCop two, three. The less we speak about, the better. Uh, I never saw the remake, but the first one is just really great. But it just has a totally different tone than Terminator. Yeah. It's not going for any of the same type of movie. Um, but I, I love it. Like it's great, and that's another director that knows how to make a B movie something special, like yeah. that and that and uh, well. Aliens is very much inspired by the book that Paul Verhoeven actually adapted, Starship Troopers. So, Aliens has a lot of Starship Troopers in it. Probably more Starship Troopers. I'm talking about the book, not the later movie, but it has more of Starship Troopers influence than it does the original Alien influence. Yeah, I can see that. And I never read the book, but. I mean, it's. I mean, I don't know. Verhoeven's movie actually is pretty great, especially post nine eleven. Like the whole, what it was actually trying to say about militarism and everything else is pretty fucking great. And he said it before all that. So he was. And he that I get how people, how critics back then didn't get it. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think it hits harder now, actually. So I mean, maybe it was just a little bit ahead of its time. I mean, Aliens has a little of that commentary, a little bit, but it was more of a, it was going for more of like a Vietnam, you know, kind of a thing, like of with the mil- Marines being, well, same thing as the first Predator. I mean, the Marines going in there thinking that they, they had all the weapons and all the technology to defeat whatever, and they just get their asses kicked, so as a, as a, as Bill Paxton would say, we got our asses kicked, man. <laughs> Uh, speaking of Bill Paxton, I love anytime he pops up, but I really do love him as a punk because it is so not him to be no, dressed. <laughs> he looks so funny in that first scene. He's like, a couple cans short of a six pack. Because he, because it's like it's like he is, it's like he's Bill Paxton. Like you said, it's not how you normally would see Bill Paxton. No, it's Bill Paxton at Halloween is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> He's not a punk. He's he's not listening to the Sex Pistols, man. He's listening to ACDC. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. Um, that and the guy that's with him, I, I I'm terrible with names, but I love that dude. He he was the alien bounty hunter in Alien. I mean, in uh, X Files, and he was the guy who gets his heart ripped out. He's the alien bounty hunter in X Files, and that character, I'd have to say, is very much based on the Terminator. Like, if you, when you get to that, I don't know how far into X Files you are, but you're going to get to a part and you're going to know who it is immediately because he's the bad guy in Cobra, also. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he, and, uh, X Files has a character that's pretty much a Terminator, but he's an alien instead of a machine. But he's just, his entire purpose is to hunt these, uh, clones down and alien clones or whatever down and, and, and kill them. So he's just, and he's, and that guy's, he's really menacing. Like if, if you can't get Arnold Schwarzenegger, he does a great Terminator, like outside of Arnold, like he's just that good. And um, they're definitely going for that kind of throwback. And then you have, I was telling Stuart, Stranger Things season two. I don't know if you ever, how much of Stranger Things you watch, but there's a character in that second season. I think it was the second season. It might've been the third season. It was the third season. 
where the the Russian hitman is essentially just doing a Terminator thing. <laughs> the, the way they the way they shoot it and everything is straight up Terminator. But yeah, super cool, man. I mean, it, it influenced so much. But so you you see you see throwbacks to the first Terminator more in with stuff like that. But you don't. But you see entire scenes ripped off in other movie. You know, of T two, like the entire like atmosphere of that movie. Whereas in Terminator One, you feels like you just get more visual, uh, you know, references to it, or or maybe some music in a certain movie remind you of it. The closest movie that i remember like seeing that came out like two years before terminator one would you if you escape from new york has that the way he J, john carpenter lights that movie is very what you'd later see james cameron do but um highlander the first highlander always reminded me a lot of terminator one just in the way that he's like a fish out of water like reese and he it seems like a lot of the colors and the way the streets are lit reminds me a lot of the first terminator did you ever see Highlander? No. Oh man, that first one's good, dude. You'd probably like it. It's Queen on the soundtrack, man. I, I have that. I have that album. <laughs> I have that album, but I've never watched it. Oh yeah, and I have it too. I own it too, but I've never watched it. Oh, I love it. The first one's great. The second one's not. <laughs> the, none of them are great after that first one, but yeah, the first one's great. But it, you'll like it because it has that same you know early 80s kind of vibe to it but in a good way like it has really cool uh lighting and the way that just the way they the way they lit everything at night with the shot with the wet streets and everything that was just kind of a common way to make stuff look cool in movies but i mean it has that that same kind of texture and feel of the first terminator movie but it's still like i said it's like it leans more into its B movie trappings a little bit more, whereas Terminator One kind of rises above it. But no, I'm not saying that like to detract from it. Highlander's super cool. <laughs> it's got Sean Connery in it too. I can't believe you haven't watched it. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I have it on Blu-ray too, and I just never took a moment to sit and watch it. Like I said got, I have that Queen album too. It's got too many things in it that you love, man. You have to watch that movie. <laughs> oh, I, know, I I love the like I I love the idea of it, and I'm like. Yeah, the idea of this thing in general is definitely something that is for me, and I don't know how I haven't watched it yet. Well, it endeared itself to me as a kid because it felt like it kind of felt like that first Terminator, at least in certain certain um, elements of it, kind of felt like it was Ken. It, it was like a, a distant cousin of the Terminator or something, you know, just just in the vibe that it was going for. But um, but it was like I said, some of that was just the the zeitgeist, you know, it was just out there, but. Highlander has more fantasy elements, you know, obviously. So it's cool. I like it. Christopher Lambert, I don't think he ever did anything that came close to that first Highlander movie, but he's pretty good in it. Unless you kind of uh, riding as a immortal. Combat. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I'm just mean, like, yeah. it, with him as the star, you know, oh. like, yeah. But yeah, he was pretty good as riding. I like, I haven't seen that in forever. That's the, that's the series. We should just do. Uh, a bonus episode and let's watch Highlander and Mortal Kombat because I haven't seen either one of them in a long time. Hey, sure, I'll be down. <laughs> I have nothing else to say, man, so I'll let you lead it out with it. Nope, that's that was that's all. I said Child's Play, totally unexpected how much I would enjoy it. Terminator, we all know that's a uh, we all know that's a classic. So uh, thank you all for joining us this week. And uh, 
you know, I'll never have the, you know, I don't never have the, the schedule, but what it what would be, well, I, I picked this one. So I guess you can, you can pick the next, the next double feature. All right. We'll just go back and forth. That sounds good. Podcast. Ask us many questions. Who will listen and who will return next week? Who will take the time to rate and review? Check for a new episode of Photo Flow every week. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at PhotoFlow Terror and Instagram on PhotoFlow underscore Terror. Thank you for listening to Photo Flow. We'll find the terror in the smiles. <laughs>